I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom the Silent One, Bionic. You just belied your silence just then. It's like saying Kimosabi. Man, this might be one of the greatest Future Quakes ever. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another week of Future Quake. And uh, we have another guest that uh, keeps raising the bar of quality of guests that we have here. Uh, we're not worthy uh, for this gentleman. Uh, someone who's a favorite on uh, Radio Liberty and elsewhere, and is long overdue here, Dr. Dennis Cuddy, mm-hmm. who is the author of Secret Records Revealed in The Globalist, and a whole host of other books, regular uh, columnist for News With Views. Uh, he's going to be talking with us in his first visit with us about the true hidden agenda behind history's global conflicts. All right. And I think you're going to... Light-hearted fi- topic. That's right. Um, I think you'll find this gentleman is probably... One of the best documenters of hard evidence of the kind of stuff we talk about that you'll find anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of said we haven't had him on earlier, really. No, and, and to, to to be fully appreciated, uh, at least we get to scratch the surface here this week. I think mm-hmm. you'll enjoy him. So with no further ado, here is Dr. Dennis Cuddy uh, talking about this hidden agenda behind history's global conf- conflicts, and we'll be back to discuss it further here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and I am Tom. Revealing some secrets of the globalists, Bionic. Boy, that's right, and we're going to have a lot of them today. If you think mm-hmm. we have uncovered everything over the last five years of the Future Quake show, we now have a guest with us today who can really give us the last word, I believe, uh, on the kind of topics we've been talking about and then some. Uh, today we are blessed to have Dr. Dennis Cuddy, who is the author of uh, a number of books, I think approximately 15 or so, uh, including Secret Records Revealed and The Globalist. And we're going to talk today about the true hidden agenda behind history's global conflicts. And uh, Dr. Cuddy, I would like to welcome you to your inaugural visit to the Future Quake Show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I want to tell our listeners that uh, you've been dealing with some uh, medical issues with your throat and uh, th- that's why we, we may have, have a little briefer visit than what we normally have on Future Quake. But I appreciate your willingness to come anyway yeah. while you're convalescing. And I know you have such a passion about this information um, that you will err on the side of proclaiming the information that needs to get out to people. You know, this is a long overdue event because um, your expertise will be of keen interest to our ever-growing legion of listeners uh, who will find that you have some of the most reliable and well-researched data of any of our guests we've had. Uh, m- many of our listeners will recognize you as arguably the most popular guest on uh, Dr. Stan Monteith's Radio Liberty show, of which we have many of their listeners uh, as well here, and they're certainly welcome here. But for our listeners who are not aware of your research, can you briefly share with us just a little bit about your background and credentials? Uh, sure. I've... Uh done a lot of different things, but uh, the, the short end of it is that I was a uh, public school teacher and then a uh, university uh, teacher as well, and then worked with the federal government for a while, mainly in education, but doing uh, some other things, and also have been uh, a political and economic risk analyst for an international consulting firm 
who uh, had uh, they had uh, country specialists, and you're supposed to know who's rising or falling from power uh, over the next uh, short term, 18 months, long term, five years. And I've uh, done a fair amount of writing of uh, books and uh, articles of uh, all sorts on uh, many different uh, many different subjects. And so uh, over the years, I have had occasion to gather a lot of material, uh, historical material, uh, le- letters, uh, private papers, diaries, and, and so forth. And uh, I've been able to uh, piece together a puzzle of uh, primarily a group that I call the uh, power elite. Well, you know, when you say you've gathered a little bit of material, um, that's like saying the, the Library of Alexandria had a few books. Uh, I hear it did, yeah. <laughs> you you have uh, oh, but uh, but like uh, but like Alexandria was destroyed. I I, I have the distinct <laughs> feeling I mentioned earlier that my mine are disappearing too. Uh, <laughs> oh, funny. I bet well, he's got Reams evidence on us. Uh, well, we're not important enough yet. He said elites, not oh. us. When he wants the bottom of yes. the barrel, especially yeah. that's when we come in. Uh, the uh, the information you have before if before I forget in our crescendo to the end of the show. Uh, I want to tell our listeners that uh, I mentioned your book, Secret Records Revealed, uh, The Globalist. A number of your books are no longer in print, but you can find them at Amazon.com. Um, you need to go find those books and get them. They are an essential part of your library. They are the most well-researched books that methodically build hard evidence. And this is in these people's own handwriting, their own writing of their plans and agenda. This is not speculation, not rumors. Uh, not conspiracy theories. This is just hard, fast data of intentions and then the results. And that's what we're going to talk about here to get just a glimpse of your work that you regularly recover on, cover on uh, shows like Radio Liberty and then your regular articles at newswithviews.com, which I recommend everybody go to, and I know everybody anxiously awaits there for your next articles that come out. In much of your research you have documented in these books and publications as you say, pertains to the overt and the covert goals and the activities of the world's elites to control the affairs and the peoples of our world. Can you explain how this was made manifest prior to the last few centuries of the modern era, uh, such as before the era of Cecil Rhodes, which is an area I know you've concentrated on, but prior to that period of time, you know, things that come to mind to me, royalty was obviously a, a large controller. We had the rise of the banks with the Knights Templar, these other forces that are even alluded to in some of the early chapters of Revelation. You look at the four horsemen, their, their influences and tyranny over mankind. Then you have the uh, philosophers, the Greek and Roman philosophers uh, like Plato and others that give this idea of an elite uh, that should be the, the benefactors that actually look over for mankind's sake. Um, can you list some other influences prior to this time that have built a long-lasting influence of the elites over society? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in ancient times, uh, you would have a religious elite uh, to whom the various kings, whether it's Egypt or wherever, would would rely and uh, look to for guidance. Uh, then, as you said, the, there's a banking elite that grew up, uh, I guess the, the first major international one was, as you indicated, the, uh, the Knights Templar, uh, to which uh, the sovereigns be, became uh, beholden. Uh, then, of course, you had the, uh, in the 1700s, out of the Enlightenment, you had the intellectual elite. Uh, one group was the Illuminati. 
uh, who uh, insinuated themselves as uh, tutors of upcoming kings. Uh, they got them when they were young princes, uh, Alexander I in Russia and so on. And uh, the the elites uh, flowing out of various secret societies. Uh, one of the Rhodes Scholars, James Billington, Library of Congress, wrote Fire in the Minds of Men, which goes uh, which goes into a, a little of that. Uh, the uh, then you started having the Industrial Revolution, that type of group, the industrial uh, elites uh, carving out their own niche, the Rockefellers and oil, and you know Carnegie and and so forth in their various uh, uh, endeavors, uh, co-opting markets, forming monopolies, and so on, and through their uh, tremendous amount of money, uh, able to, in effect, buy politicians or set up foundations to avoid uh, taxes, but also using the foundations to direct public policy uh, through their grants and so on. And uh, th those are a few of the uh, different types of uh, elites besides the just the sovereigns uh, and the religious uh, orders that uh, have influenced uh, the, the mm -hmm. flow of historical events. Okay, so so in other words, we can establish this is a long-lasting influence oh, yeah. within uh, humanity, uh, going back to its earliest days of civilization, probably from the Tower forward. Uh, and, and as I understand, philosophers like Plato and others really uh, definitized the the uh, the goal and the mission of the elites to look over humanity. Um, yeah, it was uh, often a, uh, a republic of philosophers, as Plato referred to it. And then when you came to the time of the Illuminati and, and uh, their progression through the French Revolution to philosopher kings, as they would call it. Uh, and then flowing from them, uh, the, the League of the Just in the 1800s and so forth, they, they always uh, had some sort of basis, whether it's hereditary, uh, you know, the divine right of kings or whatever. But then with the, in, in the Enlightenment, you had this sort of intellectual superiority, but there was also um, uh, racial uh, even people like Ben Franklin would say something like, it would be better if the Anglo-Saxon race dominated the world and so forth. So there are various aspects to this uh, to this elite. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, the work that you've done that I'm familiar with, and it, it incorporates many facets. People can look at News with Views as well as your books and your archives, actually see the, the different eras and genres and groups that you've talked about. But but a bulk of, of the work that I think you're, you're most known for uh, and the focus of your work, as well as uh, Stan Monteith is, is documented some of this as well, focuses on the impact of Cecil Rhodes, uh, a man uh, that I understand in my limited knowledge of him at the center of the British imperialism movement, uh, and I believe had the country of Rhodesia, if I remember, which is now Zimbabwe, named after him, for example, was very influential on the African continent. Oh. How did his specific bold mission uh, create a modern movement? Uh, that uh, was expanding and realizing an elite-driven world domination goal, and what comprised his goals, the strategy he had, and the end game of this plan? Well, uh, he was one of the uh, the early uh, non-nationalistic, uh, exclusively nationalistic, more of what you would call globalist. Uh, I I focus on him a lot because people in the past had not. And the reason for that is the unique availability of material from uh, Bill Clinton's mentor, Professor Carol Quigley, 
who actually loved these uh, these guys. He wrote a book in 1966 called Tragedy and Hope, and that word hope was these these people. He considered them the hope of the world. The people were just sort of floundering around, and they needed to be guided. Uh, the, it was a follow-up of the noblesse oblige. Uh, you had back in feudal times, the nobility would uh, guard the people, the serfs, the peasants, the oafs, and so forth, in exchange for uh, various crops and, and other things that would be given to the, the royalty and the king. But then uh, what you had was this, uh, this nobility of uh, money. Uh, great wealth was accrued. Uh, to to individualists at first the uh, banking and then industrialists and so on and so uh, what you what you had with uh, Cecil Rhodes was uh, a little different from in the past uh, in the past you'd have uh, you had mentioned wars you'd have uh, nationalistic wars Spain against France France against uh, Germany something like that but Rhodes, uh, what he did, he had a mentor called John Ruskin, and Ruskin on his grave, uh, which I put in my book, The Globalist, has a swastika, which was pre-Hitlerian, a, a uh, power symbol of the elite, the, the Aryan race. And, and this comes down, as you mentioned, from Plato early on, uh, Solon, um, uh, famous uh, Greek philosopher in mm-hmm. the uh, 500s B.C., had gone to the uh, priests of the Temple of Isis in Sais, uh, S-A-I-S, uh, Egypt, who told him about Atlantis and how the seven dis- uh, there were seven civilizations, six were destroyed, but the Aryan survived and wound up in Shambhala, and Indian subcontinent, and, and so forth. And so that's why you'll find people like Rudyard Kipling, who was a member of Rhodes, uh, Cecil Rhodes Trust, uh, emphasizes a lot of his works there, you know, the book Kim and Jungle Book and so forth from that area. And, and Rudyard Kipling, in my book, uh, Secret Records Revealed, I put the cover of one of his books, and it has swastikas on it, this, this sort of elitist uh, symbol there, you know, superior people. And that uh, flowed. Uh, it wasn't just uh, a racial superiority. It, it was, uh, at the time, evolution was on the ascendancy, Darwin in the middle 1800s, and so uh, they picked up on all of these principles, the social Darwinism. Uh, if there is a competition among species, then there would be a competition among men, with, you know, what peoples are superior. Uh, but Rhodes uh, took it one step further with his Society of the Elect, uh, because it not only included uh, British, uh, Scotch, Irish, English, uh, Welch, uh, it, it included, in addition, the Commonwealth, which you could understand, you know, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and so on. But it also included uh, people from Germany, uh, which which would be interesting later on, given the, the wars that were fought. Mm-hmm. He was uh, interested in establishing this, uh, this elite, and it was a secret society, as he said, to uh, take the government of the whole world and absorb the wealth of the world. They would use their great wealth. And uh, as you indicated, in, in the southern area of Africa, Rhodesia, for example, uh, he would uh, sort of co-opt the diamond and uh, gold mines using basically this slave labor for what he would venture would be a, a expanded uh, British influence. Uh, and he had uh, originally thought that they they could do it alone. It would simply be part of the British Empire. But then he was uh, told by um, by Lord Rothschild that if this thing was to succeed, he would have to include America and so on. So he developed this uh, larger uh, larger notion, and uh, the conspiracy as such was to last about 60 years. 
and he felt by that time he'd have enough people in key positions um, all around uh, the world that he wouldn't need a conspiracy as such anymore, something hidden, but it would be uh, changed, morphed uh, into a uh, network of like-minded globalists. And the, the eventual uh, result of all this was to be a, a world government mm-hmm. under this- the control of the elite. That's right. And, and, and these aren't just suppositions people are making. Th- these are explicit uh, goals that have been written down. Sure. You have the documents. They're, right. they're written and been verified. They're not questioned, uh, not only directly from Rhodes, but from the people in his inner circle, people even on the fringe, people who were leaders in the arts, academia, things like this. Uh, I, I remember even reading some things, I believe, in Dr. Stan's book about uh, Winston Churchill and H.G. Wells writing to each other about the secret plans that were underway that they would need to talk about offline and things like this. And uh, the, the circle yeah, is amazing. Churchill wrote to Wells. Wells was asking him something, and Churchill wrote back he couldn't talk about these certain things outside of the secret circle. And uh, they uh, they wanted to penetrate various areas uh, of life. Uh, they uh, primarily, many areas, but primarily politics, economics, uh, journalism, and, and education. Uh, they wanted to, to do that. Now, they would cooperate with others. They would cooperate with the intellectual elites of that time, which were the Fabian Socialists mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. Uh, they would uh, cooperate uh, with this uh, sort of American branch, uh, Skull and Bones, to which the Bush family, uh, most of them belong. But not just that type. You have John Kerry. Uh, a liberal Democrat who would belong to that. So the, the point is, the, these elites are not strictly conservative or strictly liberal. Their primary goal is power and control. They really don't care about left uh, and right and, and so forth. And uh, once again, that's why you will find in the tomb, as it's called, at Yale University, where Skull and Bones meets a, a fair number of swastikas around. It's, uh, remember, this is pre-Hitler. Uh, Hitler simply picks up on this. He's sort of a, a Johnny come lately to this uh, to this um, uh, movement. Okay, and, and also I think what we'll find he served basically as a tool for their use. Correct? Sure. Yeah, um, they they make people, break people, uh, fund them, get them to rise uh, to power to perform some uh, some useful function. And when they're no longer of use, they'll have some sort of revolution or, or whatever. Uh, actually, Skull and Bones, the, uh, William Whitney was a big uh, money person in the late 1800s. And his uh, contribution to this effort was, he said, what we'll, we'll do, uh, our sort of branch of this leaders will uh, contribute heavily to both major political parties and then alternate power so the, uh, the unwise or ignorant public thinks it has a choice when it really doesn't. Wow, and this is documented. You, sure. I mean, anything you've said, I've always seen you. You've got the hard documents, so they admit this is a strategy that they started with a with a two party system approach to have sort of a facade of change while you got people on both sides working the plot. Yeah, in fact, Quigley Quigley loved that. That's what he liked. He said you ought to be able to in his book Tragedy and Hope. He said you ought to be able to kick the rascals out without changing anything. Uh, serious. Uh, there'd be minor changes, but anything of great importance to the power elite uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't really change. Uh, for example, uh, you would have uh, George H. W. Bush, president from uh, 1988 to 92, and when Bill Clinton was running against him in 92, one of the things he was criticizing Bush for was his um, uh, support of most favored nation status for communist China. He says, you know, they're violating human rights. This is horrible. I will do away with this when I become president, so on and so on. 
he made a big issue of it. Then as soon as he became uh, president, Bill Clinton, uh, Lloyd Benson from Texas, as Secretary of Treasury, uh, read in the Riot Act, and he uh, changed and said, well, yeah, okay, I'm for that too, post favored nation status for China. So the point is uh, a lot of these people are puppets who you see up front. Uh, various presidents are, are puppets uh, for, for these people. They they vet them, uh, as the word that you used early on, when they're young people in their careers. Uh, they fund them, see that they become members of city council and then the state senate or whatever. And by the time anybody reaches the highest um, highest echelons, they, they pretty well are uh, bought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can usually look for the train of money and the other uh, contacts that have been made at key parts of their life. Uh, even our current president, as I understand, has that trail. Uh, oh, special sure. contacts with Rockefeller uh, and others at key times that sort of lifted up and their, their career took off. Uh, yeah, and you owe them. And oftentimes they'll, uh, they love people that they can hold something over. Maybe they've done something in their past that they can always expose if they, the person gets out of line. And so yeah, they, they know who their boss is. Hmm. Well, um, I, I want to move on and uh, talk about um, some examples, some of the most notable examples in history, because what we're talking about is a major movement in relatively modern history. The players were people we know, people that we've known through history recently, uh, possibly even seen on television or in the news, not ancient figures uh, that we have lots of documentation on. But we, ha- we have writings that you've secured, that you have, that shows that they were in on this plan. And we're very slow and methodical in building this leadership. But one of the key points I know was the establishment by, by Cecil Rhodes of this Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, and if I remember right from your, from your writing, it was a key point to, to raise up these kind of leaders to put in all of these key positions. And in fact, you even mentioned in your book that in this writing it talks about certain features of, you know, they were looking for very intrepid kind of people that were pragmatists that could, uh, uh, sometimes be difficult with people, elitist in their own attitudes in dealing with people, and they look for those kind of people to fill these roles. Can, can you comment on that and, and some of the real notable accomplishments that they've done that really furthered their agenda in recent history? Uh, yeah, the, the Rhodes Scholars uh, was an important aspect of it. Uh, if you ask Rhodes Scholars about this, they'll say, well, Cecil Rhodes may have entertained the idea but uh, of a massive global conspiracy, but then he just decided to give some young fellas some, and, and later uh, women some uh, money so they could improve their education. Uh, but the, the people closest to him, William Stead and others, uh, acknowledged that uh, the Rhodes Scholars were chosen for particular characteristics that they have. You mentioned pragmatists, so you'll have George Stephanopoulos, uh, very prominent uh, now with uh, ABC television. Uh, back some years ago when he was asked, well, what happens if there's a conflict between uh, the political situation or issue and your morality? And Stephanopoulos says, well, I'll compromise. You know, this, is, this is the sort of pragmatist that they that they want. And uh, they they uh, there's a certain amount of conditioning uh, that goes on at Oxford uh, of these people. Now, uh, ultimately, a few have not uh, fulfilled their dream. They have... Re- they have remained uh, patriotic nationalists, but most of them have this sort of a globalist uh, bent to them. And, and I have a letter signed by Bill Clinton supporting world government, and his Rhodes Scholar roommate, Strobe Talbot, uh, won an uh, award from the World Federalist Association for an, artic- for an article he wrote in Time magazine 
that uh, said perhaps national sovereignty was not such a great idea after all, and the case for world government is clinched. Uh, but the, the importance of Rhodes Scholars in these various uh, key positions uh, over the years is uh, what uh, a term I heard when I was in Washington working, and that is personnel is policy. And, and the reason for that is uh, if you look at a George W. Bush or Barack Obama or almost any of these people, they're heavily, heavily reliant upon the people around them, not only for the advice and information they are given, but for the advice and information withheld from them. And so you have them pretty well beholden to these individuals around them. And that's why you'll see, regardless of administration, the same sort of people popping up, whether it's an Obama or a Bush or whatever. You had in the last election John McCain. Well, a key foreign policy advisor for him was Henry Kissinger, You know, one of the same people you've seen years and years. Barack Obama's is a big Neff Brzezinski. You know, he goes mm-hmm. back decades. Mm-hmm. As both of them Rockefeller sort of uh, associates. So uh, administrations may come and go, but uh, the the people in control uh, stay there. Uh, the same was true, as I mentioned before, about the Fabian Socialists that they f- uh, formed the London School of Economics and uh, basically trained the bureaucrats so that prime ministers would come and go, but these bureaucrats would be in place forever. And uh, if any of your listeners know about legislation, what happens is uh, Congress or it doesn't Parliament, whatever, will pass some sort of law. But what actually gets enacted is the rules and regulations. Uh, let's say Congress passes an education bill. It goes to the Department of Education. Then some bureaucrats write the rules and regulations to enforce that, to implement it. And oftentimes the, the legislator doesn't even recognize uh, the, the bill mm-hmm. to become law. And so uh, a lot of uh, things are are driven by that. Uh, Graham Allison up at Harvard actually wrote about various models, the organizational model, the bureaucratic model for government, and and so on. So that's that's one initiative. We're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future. And Tom, no middle name, Bionic. Wow, that only happens on rare occasions. You're cheating your fans out there. Yeah. I don't have any fans. Let's get right down to Oh, that's not true. Yeah. That's not true. Probably uh, Dr. Cuddy is probably one of your top fans, I'm sure. Yeah, mm, probably not. I'm one of his because um, mm-hmm. he's just getting warmed up uh, in mm-hmm. this discussion. Uh, he's being patient as I do my regular, you know, slovenly lay out the groundwork of yeah. the history of elite control of our world. Well, I thought the whole thing that you had mentioned about Cecil, Cecil Rhodes and Rhodesia uh, being actually named after Cecil Rhodes yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, he's the man uh, of uh, African yeah. imperialism of and evil. British imperialism Can over I the say world. That loud? Well, and 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 really, uh, for, to my knowledge, Dr. Cuddy of the people I know is the one who was at the forefront of gathering all the hard data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, Dr. Stan. I'm sure has did his own research. Probably used some of Dr. Cuddy's because he thinks highly of him. Mm-hmm. But uh, his books are essential reading. If you want to know what's really going on in the modern world. Uh, because Cecil Rhodes has probably had more influence on people in the last 200 years than maybe any man living. And his books will actually mm. document that. And the legacy of the decision makers today are, are testimony. Someone else who's a decision maker is Murph who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E 
at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Okay, I'm out. Tomorrow's the next segment with Dr. Cuddy. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, creating a climate of, uh, never mind, bionic. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but at least it was sort of a middle name. <laughs> Although ending up with never mind sort of puts an asterisk next to it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're very free form. I, I, I rate Nicolas Cage as a very high, uh, Nick Cage, the composer, uh-huh. very highly in my uh, arsenal of... Yeah, uh, composition. I didn't see that really coming at the beginning of this Future Quake show when the real focus is in our guest, Dr. Dennis Cuddy, yes. who is the author of numerous books, including Secret Records Revealed and The Globalist. And we're talking about the true hidden agenda behind history's global conflicts. Mm-hmm. This is our second installment with him. It was much too brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really just got things warmed up and going, and we hope to have him back. But if you're not familiar with Dr. Cuddy, you need to listen very closely, and I, I highly recommend you chase down his books at Amazon.com. Read his articles at News With Views. You will thank me later for it because he is a fascinating, very careful researcher, documents everything very well, and what he finds is more fantastic than what you'll read at these crazy sites like ours, for example. Yeah. You know what I find? Well, we should probably go to him, I guess, huh? I, for lack of anything else, yeah. get the words directly from Dr. Cuddy. So here's uh, Dr. Cuddy talking about this hidden agenda behind history's global conflicts, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Uh, another initiative would be uh, we get our information, the public does, through the press and media. And so one of the aspects of uh, Cecil Rhodes that wanted to control was uh, journalism. And so uh, they uh, they took over, according to Professor Quigley, uh, five major papers, New York Times, Christian Science Monitor, Boston Globe, and so on. And uh, in addition, their ally, uh, the money person in this country uh, helping them here was uh, J.P. Morgan. And Morgan and his people uh, thought originally that they would buy up about 200 newspapers and control the press, but then they, they figured out that all they really had to do was buy up uh, about 25 major newspapers, and they would select the editors, and then the editor-in-chief would select the people under him. And they would uh, pretty much uh, toe the mark editorial. They'd either promote war or be against war or whatever whatever it is. And so that way you could control what the public uh, knows, the information Mm -hmm. that it gets upon which they base their decisions. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. They found, and I remember reading that in your book, that they found 25 did the job because evidently everybody else is just lemmings. Uh, within journalism, if they see the big guys, how dare they go against the path, and they're going to write about the same things as monkey see, monkey do. And so they just have to get a critical mass uh, uh, in each of these yeah, groups. Yeah, the, the school shootings was an example. I think one of those uh, some years ago was in uh, what was Jonesboro, Arkansas, wherever. But uh, the what happened was there was about 900 newspaper articles uh, on that event. And only, I think, about 11 of them actually said what really happened, and that was when the school shooter was uh, shooting uh, uh, his fellow students, 
I think the assistant principal went out to his car, got his gun, came in, pointed it at the kid, the child, and said, "Drop your gun, or else." Only eleven of the nine hundred uh, papers put that. Uh, mm-hmm. The other eight hundred and eighty-nine just said uh, that the child was shooting up the school, and he, he was stopped, and that was it. Now, uh, obviously, the the power elite didn't call up uh, eight hundred and eighty-nine editors, and the point is they didn't have to. Uh, those individuals are selected uh, in advance for their worldview, probably for gun control. Uh, often they're very liberal mm-hmm. editors, uh, and therefore they would be for gun control. And so uh, when you put, as I said, personnel as policy, when you put key people in key positions, you don't have to have a secret society meeting at midnight or every other Tuesday or whatever. Uh, it will just be a, a natural uh, inclination on their part to uh, to go along with this. Mm-hmm. Well, now, as I understand from your books, to let our listeners in on, on your approach, uh, after you disclose their, their writing, which talks about the Rhodes Scholar Program being one of their many initiatives to try to proliferate people of like mind in all the key decision-making, you take an approach in your writing and in the two books that I had of a timeline approach where you start back in, in the early days uh, of Mr. Rhodes and then Lord Milner and others who took over the, the baton and actually go from year by year how they raised up these Rhodes Scholars, put them in each of the key decision-making position in each of these four spheres, and then the major decisions that would lead toward global government, uh, away from democracy, more towards centralized control, um, that's that was what I picked up from your book, is you methodically make your case and let the reader draw the obvious conclusions. Is that th- this uh, approach is real? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of uh, circumstantial uh, evidence, but in uh, the first to my globalist, I put how at the trial of the uh, conspirators uh, assassinating uh, President Lincoln, uh, the, the judge uh, at that time, uh, Bingham, uh, actually said the the, the um, uh, that type of evidence, circumstantial evidence, is probably uh, better than eyewitnesses because you know, sometimes people make a mistake of judgment uh, as to what they really saw. And uh, so what I try to do is, if if you look at a pattern of events, uh, there can be a number of coincidences, but when you start getting up into the the literal thousands of examples. Uh, then it becomes uh, harder for skeptics to explain away uh, all of this as just some sort of um, organic uh, movement or, or coincidence that's going on. And so a chronology is often what I try to do step by step, quote by quote, year after year, because then the the reader gets an idea of how this came about. And the usefulness of that, uh, usefulness of that is that if you get that flow, then you can almost sort of anticipate what's coming next and after that. And so that's why that uh, that's a, a useful mechanism that I use, these sort of uh, chronologies. And you can anticipate it in the future. Yeah. You can actually look at current events today in your newspaper or in the news and be able to say, okay, we know who's pulling the strings because what you hear in the news – what you hear announcements from your government are not just some kind of arbitrary release of facts. They're, they're a story that's being sold to you. There's a mindset. There is a goal. There's an agenda from all of these different sources. And you've got to recognize that what you're, you're it's like a nonstop commercial. You're being sold something uh, for you to adopt, and you've got to get through that and figure out what are the elites trying, where are they trying to steer us with this latest information. Yeah, because a lot of times stuff doesn't seem to make sense. Somebody will say, well, I don't understand why that's happening. That that doesn't make a lot of sense. 
And so I recommend to them that they they ask, well, uh, how would it fit into this uh, power elite's plan for the future? Uh, whether it's a, a loss uh, during a war or uh, some sort of sudden mm-hmm. terrorist attack uh, out of mm-hmm. the blue. Economic and, uh, downturn. Could be sure, an economic downturn. That, yeah, that's the example. Uh, there's a fellow, Philip Freneau, uh back in 1792 in a publication called American Museum, where he uh, explained uh, how uh, the, there was this elite. He mentioned the hereditary elite aspect of it and how they would attempt to gain uh, control over this young upstart uh, republic, uh, the United States. And uh, he explained it in those terms uh, that you just used. Uh, They would use uh, debt, uh, get them in debt in as many hands and as confusing as possible, have a loss of a war. That that would dampen the, the sort of patriotic nationalism uh, and uh, we know that from Vietnam, uh, for example, the, the, uh, those people saying that patriotism was a highly valued um, characteristic uh, went down to about 25% among younger people and so on. And so a lot of this, a lot of this is a, uh, a manipulation of the public, uh, psychological manipulation. There's actually a book by uh, Colin Simpson called The Science of Coercion. Uh, that they use. Uh, Edward Bernays, the father of public opinion, said they could manipulate us, and and they have. And so uh, what they'll do is uh, various psychological techniques and then uh, processes uh, like a a dialectical approach uh, where you have uh, two uh, opposing teams, so to speak, uh, but they're being uh, manipulated. You know, the the left will look at the evil right wingers, and the right will, will look at the evil left wingers, and they'll uh, go back and forth and back and forth and uh, point fingers uh, and accuse each other of blame, not realizing what's really going on. This like in the environment, if if um, we have some sort of uh, overreaching environmental extremism. People will look at the environmentalists and say, look, they're the blame. Well, actually, a lot of them are funded by these elites right. uh, at the top. But the, the blame will be affixed to the radical left environmentalists. Uh, and um, the same thing with the hippies in the 60s. Uh, what they were doing there uh, was they were funding uh, through ESSO, which is now Exxon money, mm-hmm. Stanford money, Rockefeller money, uh, the hippies uh, to, to make all sorts of radical commotion so that as the elite, the Rockefeller types, moved to the left themselves, they would not not look as extreme. They would be relatively mild when they tried to open the door to communist China mm. through uh, Kissinger and so on. Now, if I understand, just, just to put this principle in practice, we, we see on TV a lot of pundits that come on the 24-hour news channels, things like this, that come in from some organization you've never heard, Foundation for Economic Competitiveness or whatever, and they stroll in, and they give their opinions, and there's a nonstop stream of them. We need to stop and ask ourselves, who is funding these people? What's the agenda of the people who's bringing the people who are whispering in our ears? Uh, and I hate to say this, but even sometimes religious groups, we need to look and see where's the money coming from. Other institutions uh, really look at, presume there is an agenda there. And because people wouldn't be taking the time to come on the news if they didn't have something to sell to us. That's why they're there taking the time to go on there. Uh, that, that's a practice we need to discipline ourselves to do, correct? Uh, yeah, you need to know who the, the backers are and also how did they get chosen to be uh, mm-hmm. on, let's say, national television. 
uh, why why does ABC News on Nightline choose certain people uh, to come on but not others? Uh, sometimes they will use this to try and discredit uh, individuals, uh, portray them in an extremist light, uh, unwilling to compromise for the sake of peace or whatever. And this, this is all part of breaking down either biblical moral absolutes or uh, strong uh, patriotic uh, nationalism, uh, what it is, whatever it is, at the time. And uh, yeah, you you have to uh, you have to note that in these groups the, that I call the power elite, let's say the Rockefellers being an example, there's there's mm-hmm. other that uh, over the years they have done uh, things which do uh, impact religion. Uh, they would take a Baptist minister like Frederick Gates and make him head of their general education board to direct uh, education for the country uh, about a hundred years or, or so ago. Uh, they would also uh, fund uh, various projects. Uh, the uh, Rockefeller Brothers Fund in the 1950s uh, had what was called the Mid-Century Challenge to America. And in there, they used the term New World Order, and it has been bestowed upon us the honor of building this New World Order. And when it described it, the first aspect was spiritual, not economic, there's social, political, it's spiritual. And then Barry Goldwater, also after the uh, Rockefeller, uh, David Rockefeller, set up the Trilateral Commission, Barry Goldwater, in his book titled With No Apologies, uh, 1979, uh, was describing what the Trilateral Commission was up to, and he mentioned various areas of control, and the first one, uh, one of them was ecclesiastical control. So you, they, are, they can't leave anything to chance. Uh, they have to control uh, all aspects of our lives, and they will reshape or reform, if necessary, values to uh, sort of ostracize or... Uh, demean or present as rather narrow or old-fashioned you know, mainline religions so that you will uh, advance uh, particular individuals who are more uh, syncretistic. They're willing to tolerate uh, those of other faiths as, as going to heaven and so on. Uh, pr- President Obama is very, uh, very much a part of this. He carries around in his pocket, among other things, a little... Uh, uh, replica of Lord Hanyaman, the uh, Hindu uh, monkey god idol. And then, lo and behold, look at this popular movie that's come out, Avatar, which is a Hindu concept, you know, a godlike person appearing uh, before (laughs) before man to solve his problems. This this stuff is not uh, not coincidental. This is part of the the sort of syncretistic, uh, let's all work together, you know, let's live in harmony, no more religious-based wars, uh, let's uh, develop, as John Dewey said, a common faith, uh, the values we can all share. And so that's, that's in the public schools, that's what happened. They kicked Bible reading out, school prayer out. And so all the Christians stood around and huffed and puffed and said, well, you know, the Supreme Court is ruled. Uh, the problem for Christians was that's all we did. We should have said, well, are you still teaching values? And they would say, well, yes. And then we would say, okay, well, if God's not the moral authority, then who is? And, it, and, and it's obviously, since it's not God, this is not government neutrality. The parents at home are saying God of the Bible as the absolute authority for what's right and wrong, but the school's teaching some other moral authority, which, as it turns out, to be the morally autonomous decision-making student himself and herself. They were already words, prepared. They, they had a, yeah. another agenda of values waiting in the wings. Uh, that they had to get that out of the way to, to, to bring that in. You know, it's funny you mention that because uh, when, when you were uh, mentioning this, I thought of uh, another John, John Lennon, and his song Imagine. 
Oh, you said yeah. the same thing, Ecclesiastes, you know, imagine this world with no religion, too, and right. everybody living together. And he he really fell into the hands, if, if intentionally or not, of what these same elites you're talking about have written down as what their goal is uh, and, and are taking it out. You know, it's funny you mentioned the religious part of it because uh, we, we talk about here all the time on our show about the worldview in Revelation 18, which reveals a historic axis of the kings of the earth and the great global merchants of the earth called the Imperos, uh, who conspire together. They use sorcery, what's called pharmakia, where they use drugs or artificial means to contact the dark spiritual forces uh, and alter the reality of the masses. And it says that through that they deceive the nations of the earth. And that is the reality that the Bible says uh, exists, that we should acknowledge. Uh, since, and I think since the days of the Tower, and we believe that we should acknowledge these deceptions that are, are still being continuously proffered by these institutions to us if we're willing to accept a Christian worldview. Do you have any further comments on how you think Scripture reveals the nature of these institutions and the power structures of the world in line with what you're, what you're presenting to us? Well, they're, they're sort of uh, in your face now. There's a, a poster with the European Union uh, res- you know, rebuilding the Tower of Babel, and then they're... One of their stamps early on had the woman riding on the beast, you know, dressed in scarlet, and the seven waters and the hill, I mean, seven hills and the, the water, many waters, and so on. And uh, if you if you look at the, I think it's the um, European Union's uh, main building, it's uh, it's it's uh, shaped like you know the the uh, rebuilt tower of tower of Babel. They're they're you know they're very very blatant about this, and so. Uh, what you would find is, uh, for example, uh, let's say uh, many times people, as they look at the end times, refer to the mark of the beast and so on. And so they condition people. Uh, they, they sort of sneak up on people. If you told a Christian, uh, well, I want to put this mark on you without uh, which you, can, which, uh, you can't buy or sell anything. Uh, they say, oh, you know, this is horrible, mark of the beast, I'll refuse that. But if you came up to him and say, I've got this handy little card you know, with a number on it. It's all yours. And won't this be wonderful? You don't have to have cash or anything. You can use this handy little card with your own number on it. Isn't that nice? That, you know, a lot of people say, hey, that's real handy. You know, it serves the same you know, function. I mean, it's not a mark in the hand necessarily as a tattoo or whatever, but the, the mm-hmm. function is, uh, is there. It's conditioning people, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, what you what you find is uh, oftentimes people say, well, you know, six 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 and so on. Well, maybe the uh, the key to that might be understanding this uh, is oftentimes you have something in the Old Testament that refers to something coming in the New Testament. And so if you look at First uh, Kings ten four and then Second Chronicles nine thirteen, uh, that indicates in the uh, Old Testament that was the weight of talents of gold that was brought uh, each year to uh, Solomon. Mm-hmm. And Solomon would worship uh, Astarte, who was the goddess of the uh, Sidonians. Right. And so a, a key author uh, in the 1800s was Benjamin Disraeli, and in his Koningsby, uh, he, uh, the lead character is Sidonia. And he says, so you see, my dear Koningsby, that the world is governed by uh, very different personages than what is imagined by those who are not behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is a, a sort of control mechanism, and the final uh, battle, of course, uh, biblically, is Armageddon. Now, by, and, by the way, didn't they bring 666 talents? Wasn't that the normal? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's okay. the uh, weight, weight of the talents mm-hmm. okay. of gold that was brought uh, each uh, each year to Solomon. 
And so what you have is uh, this battle of Armageddon, final battle for world control, and uh, the, the, the control of the world, of the world government, could be brought about, uh, I think, through economics. That's the, sort of the driving force. Uh, driving us the, these uh, economic arrangements, regional, you know, the EU, ASEAN, uh, and, and the, the, hopefully they think the North American Union and so on, and then you'll uh, link them all up. Uh, but uh, what would happen is uh, trade, often the World Trade Organization will will sort of parcel out things, and I think they made about 52 decisions, and we've lost uh, something like 40 uh, 44 of them. But anyway, the point is, in the Old Testament during Solomon's time, uh, he had fortified a Gezer, Hazor, and Megiddo. And the Har, or Mount of Megiddo, would uh, be called Armageddon. And through that fortification back then, uh, Solomon controlled uh, the Via Maris, and therefore world trade, thereby controlling the world of his, uh, of his day. And so they're using the same uh, sort of uh, script here. Uh, through world uh, world trade and control of the world's economy, uh, they can debauch currencies. Bring you know George Soros can bring Malaysia to its knees. The click of a mouse in a nanosecond, tremendous funds uh, go go across borders and so on. So a lot of their control mechanism is the economics today. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you know the, the 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 main point. I know we're getting late in the show here, but something I really want you to comment on is that we we have previously documented on this show the deception surrounding the true origins of some of the major conflicts, the, the war conflicts we've had uh, that have touched our country. For example, the Spanish-American War, the deceptions that led up to our entry in it and the, and the explosion on the main, the Vietnam War and the Gulf of Tonkin and, and how it was falsified to get us involved, and even the Gulf War and Iraq War, uh, which we, we also talked about, it was our guest last week, uh, who says that he was not given the intelligence data to, to give to Colin Powell uh, about... Entering the Iraq War, um, yeah, that it was intentionally kept from him. Yeah, which this should be enough data to see a trend uh, to lead one to believe that these wars in general are merely tools of the elite to advance and what I call turbocharge the schedule of their agenda. However, there's some that point out that there were so-called good wars that appear to be well warranted, such as World War II and the Cold War, and we recognize what we understand of the other side and the in the common understanding in the public. To address their point, could you begin by explaining the real reasons why World War II came about and the, and the purpose of the initiators in doing this? Well, uh, let me run through several of them real quick, uh, because like, like you said, one war does not a pattern make. Uh, and so what, what you have is uh, the, the parallel creates a situation. Uh, the parallel didn't call 19 people up and say go fly into buildings, but they created a situation where they could anticipate the reaction uh, by uh, Islamists uh, reacting to something that they did, and therefore it didn't matter to them whether it's you know hijacked planes flying into uh-huh. buildings or trains being derailed, whatever. They create situations from which they can anticipate a response, and then they use that response in order to further their goals. And so you could say World War II was a, quote, good war in the sense that Hitler's evil and he need to be defeated. You know, I mean, that that's good, defeating Hitler. But what you have to look at is how, how these came about. And so uh, we'll, we'll skip over some wars. Uh, the Civil War, for example, a lot of people associate it with slavery. But what that was is uh, I mentioned that Philip uh, Furneaux in his 1792 article 
uh, what they wanted to do was carve out a Gulf empire. The, they wanted to divide the U.S. into two so it wouldn't be as strong. And they, in their words, uh, wanted to have a Gulf empire of the southern, uh, 11 southern main states as well as uh, Central America and the Caribbean islands, in their words, uh, with, quote, unlimited Negroes producing unlimited cheap products and so on. So that was a, a driving force that came about uh, early on, especially after Andrew Jackson defeated the uh, the second bank. Uh, as I said, economics is a big part of that. Uh, in the Spanish-American War, of course, you had uh, the Hearst newspapers saying, give me some photos, you know, remember the Maine, which was actually not blown up by the, the Spanish, as it turns out. It was uh, internally and so on, and it was all supposed to be uh, very, very uh, advantageous to America. What you find out is that here we are, a nation supposedly saying uh, that we fought a war for independence in 1776, and then after we won that, one of the uh, places that we got control of was the Philippines, and we proceeded to slaughter, I mean slaughter, huge numbers of Filipinos who wanted independence, because we, we didn't want them to have mm-hmm. independence. So uh, what uh, General May, uh, Marine General Smedley Butler right. uh, said later was uh, war is a racket and so on. Now, the same sort of thing uh, helped in World War I. Uh, that was guided by the power elite, uh, Cecil Rhodes-type uh, associates, so Sir Edward Gray and others, uh, misled uh, the German ambassador, thinking that if Germany came in on the side of Austria-Hungary, against Russia, that uh, England would not uh, come in, but of course they, they did. Uh, the French were brought in by J.P. Morgan, as I mentioned, Cecil Rhodes' uh, associate money person at the time, uh, sort of a secret agreement. Lord Escher was the direct person saying uh, we need to shed his, uh, American blood as soon as possible to steady the French. Mm-hmm. He told mm-hmm. that to uh, Morgenthau, who was a big supporter of Woodrow Wilson. And the purpose, once again, was to develop this world government. Uh, Colonel House, who was an agent of the power elite and World Joe Wilson's chief advisor, later wrote in the Council of Foreign Relations publication, Foreign Affairs, that if the war had not come in fierce and exaggerated form, uh, that uh, they would never have gotten their League of Nations off the ground. Now, we didn't join, but there was a, a League of Nations. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And uh, Bionicus Maximus. Okay. You've used that many a time, haven't you? I don't think so, have I? Yes, you have. No. But anyway, it's good to be back. Uh, Dr. Cuddy was uh, getting more into uh, some of the meat and potatoes of our uh, discussion about the power elites, the impact of Cecil Rhodes, um, what he has done in these different elements. started out talking about the press and journalism. And when you control the mouthpiece of the information that people get and the people are lazy enough, Mm-hmm. Just to get the information when they lay on the sofa and click on the, the main fluoride heads, right? Exactly. <laughs> they click that on. You sort of get what you're asked for, you know? Yeah. Turn it, on the turn on the uh, the hypnosis box. If that is the total effort you go to to find out what's going on, then you might as well just accept being deceived. Yep. Uh, you've sewn your own bed when you do that. Oh, hey, the thought devoiders on now in yeah. digital. Or you can take a tiny bit of effort to listen to shows like. Future Quake, Peering into Darkness, Revelations Radio Network shows, mm-hmm. uh, Weirdo Liberty, others, mm-hmm. uh, or go to News with Hughes and read uh, Dr. Cuddy's articles. Uh, another thing you can do is listen to Murph, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. 
That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Any last comments on his? You know, Merv got money from Cecil Rhodes. Didn't know that. We hear about it tomorrow, but until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. You're shortchanging the public with no middle name. I'm sorry. Well, somebody who hasn't shortchanged the public is our guest this week, Dr. Mm-hmm. Dennis Cuddy, the author of Secret Records Revealed, The Globalist, and a number of other uh, books and documents, uh, talking about the true hidden agenda behind history's global conflicts. Mm-hmm. This was his first visit with us, and I wonder what he thought about us. I don't know. You know, Dr. Stan's pretty well established. You yeah. sort of know what you get with him with us. You know, if you're not used to us, you just don't know what to think of it. So, You know what I thought was actually really interesting in listening to this interview? Uh, one of the things that I really got is, you know, people like Dr. Stan and, uh, you know, Nowhere to Run, the other Revelation Radio Network podcasts and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, as well as as well as even, you know, larger forums like Alex Jones, to a lesser extent, Andrew Napolitano even, uh, I just felt the general the general way he tied things together and the general way he did things, really, I could see shades of, of all of these other shows hmm. in the things that he was talking about and hmm. the way that he was talking about them. Dr. Cuddy, um, I don't think he uses a lot of things like the Internet and stuff. He does it old-fashioned way, going to libraries and digging up stuff, getting lots of old books, chasing mm-hmm. them down. But he has some of the most exhaustive research. If you go through his books... Like we talked about on the show, he methodically um, he makes these timelines where you see each of these effects going into play, mm-hmm. and he didn't have to comment on them. I mean, you put two and two together, and it's obvious their plan is working, mm-hmm. and it's coming together. And you'll see names of people you know, mm-hmm. and and meet some new people, but names and and they're they're explicit. If you go find the right documents, they'll say, "Yeah, here's what we're up to. Mm-hmm. We're here to deceive the public. We're here. To, they won't even know what hit them." Oh yeah, by the and way, they say it in writing. Yeah, uh, by the way, if you show them this quotes, they'll think you're nuts. Yeah. Except you know, and he has all the documents. Yeah. He has the information that shows it's there, and uh, that's why to me it's criminal that Doctor Cuddy isn't even known. He has a large following, but it should be so much larger. Well, really, yeah, yeah. I, so I many more people should know his work. Well, hopefully we can. Hopefully we can add to that by having him on to well, really further elucidate that. Let's try to get him to write a um, like an American history, a world history textbook, maybe homeschoolers or somebody could use. That would be too too scary. I know it would be great, wouldn't it? I know. He'd be wake up at like 3 in the morning, yeah. kids are crying, ah, history is scary. <laughs> ah. Well, if we want to scare our listeners, let's say introduce Dr. Cuddy right now. <laughs> you can hear it yourself. You're going to find out about, we found out a little bit about the last uh, wars mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Today we're going to talk about World War II, the good war, mm-hmm. and you're going to learn the rest of the story. So no further ado, here's Dr. Dennis Cuddy. We'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. 
And so uh, that didn't pan out. So what, what happens? Well, you got to have a second world war to, to move this thing along. And so we literally sort of fund Germany as well as Japan and build Hitler up. He has a war machine. Uh, our ambassador over there, I think his name was William Dodd, uh, wrote uh, back to the U.S. Says, I can't understand why these big uh, money people in the U.S. are putting money into Germany. They can't get their profits out. Why would they do this? Well, you you know, you have to build up uh, this war machine of Hitler. And once again, you have a terrible war, and the people of the world say, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. Let's have a U.N. Mm. Well, can and, you name uh, names of some of these industrialists and bankers who funded particular groups in Germany? Well, the the, the leading person pushing this was uh, the J.P. Morgan interest because they were also responsible for the Bank for International Settlements out of the Hague Agreement in 1930. And that is the central bank for all the nation's central bank. That's the mm-hmm. world's central bank. And so they wanted that, and then of course you get them in debt. You know, you have the Federal mm-hmm. Reserve printing money, and uh, you know, and which is not backed by gold or anything. And so it, it simply churns out money. You can control inflation that way, and, and how it's used, and so on. And uh, then of course you would have agents of the parallel, like the Dulles brothers, Alan Dulles, very very heavily into the Schroeder Bank, and the Schroeder Bank over in Germany was the one that uh, set up Hitler. I mean that's where Hitler's funds came through. A union uh, trust corporation, whatever it is, uh, even during the war, during the Second World War, the Bushes were heavily into that Bush family. Uh, they even got their hands slapped uh, by conducting this business. Uh, but it, it was uh, more than that. Industrialist would be Henry Ford. He was very close to the Nazis. He really loved the Nazis, you know, provide them with lots of stuff. Uh, but then it wasn't just then later when the, the communists were threatening in Vietnam, and you would think we would want to uh, restrict the flow of uh, goods. Uh, once again, there was a Ford uh, factory over in Russia at the Kama River building the trucks which the Soviets sent down to the Vietnamese to transport stuff to kill our soldiers. You know, it's it just business kept going on through the banks, through the industrialists, uh, regardless of who we uh, were at war with. And so uh, it's this, these types of people, Standard Oil again, the Rockefellers, you'd have Nazis, literally Nazi officers on Standard Oil boats, uh, you know, cruising them along over to the Canary Islands so that the Nazis could have their Standard Oil. And to be sure that they weren't bombed, you know, submarines and torpedoed, and so you know that that's <laughs> that's that's the way it went on. We basically supported uh, the industrials and bankers, uh, Hitler and and uh, and others. Let me ask you the bottom line: Could World War II and the tens of millions of lives that were lost been averted without the assistance of these elite groups that helped raise Hitler to power and fund him? Without their assistance, would there have been a way to avoid this horror and bloodshed? Oh, it never would have come about. I mean, Hitler's, uh, they were devastated. And so, so, you know, they, they were basically, you know, not very well. I mean, Japan wasn't well off either. They had had various wars over there, uh, the Sino-Japanese uh, War and the Russian-Japanese War. Uh, the, the Japanese Navy was literally built from our scrap metal. We sold a bunch of scrap metal. They built a fleet. Uh, same thing with Germany. I mean, Germany was really pummeled uh, after World War One. Uh, they were, you know, in very, very bad shape. Uh, and so the, there would, never would have been a war machine, a Wehrmacht, unless we had, uh, you know, put the money into that. So the public was told who the wrong enemy was. They were not informed. Obviously, these gentlemen controlled the media. So they yeah. were led along. They were, they, there was this uh, straw man set up an enemy. 
rather than who the real enemy was that set up to this whole problem that cost the lives of their young men and women? Well, uh, as I put it, Hitler was evil. I mean, he had to be right. bought, he had to be defeated. But the, the Nazis and Hitler were simply one sub-part of this larger uh, power elite effort. Uh, they use wars, they use economic crises. Uh, they have a different, uh, you know, a whole variety of uh, They use education. They, you know, make the public dumb, dumb the public down so we don't have an educated populace. And, uh, you know, make them fat, dumb, and happy, give them entertainment like the Roman circuses 2,000 years ago. You know, give, feed some Christians to the lions, have some jugglers out there. Now today, you know, put on some football games or whatever. You know, go team, rah, rah, and so forth. Keep them occupied. Now, what about the people? Now, you know, you have to understand, I, I voted for, for Bush twice. I supported the Iraq War until just a couple of years ago. I worked for the defense uh, establishment for 16 years. Uh, so you know where I come from. But the people who were classified as pacifists, the people who did not, or, or maybe not interventionists is a better term, did not want to get us involved in World War II. In hindsight, were, were they the wiser, and should we have listened to them in that regard? Well, you have to be careful. I mean, there really was a Hitler. He really was built up. He really was a threat. He was doing nasty, nasty things. So, like I said, what they do is through coercive means, they present you with a, a sort of fait accompli where you, you really don't have much of a choice. It's like the economic crisis. Oh, my goodness, look, the housing market collapsed. Well, what they did was they allowed leveraging to go from 12 to 1 up to 40 to 1. They, they knew what was going to happen, but then when you have this big collapse, you say, you know, what do we do? Do we just uh, roll over and die? Well, no, reluctantly, we'll have to let them take over AIG, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, General Motors. We don't like to, but there you go. We've got to you know, go along with this. And so uh, that's what they do. They'll create crises. Uh, Oh, my goodness, a terrorist attack. Well, you know, we want our freedoms, but, hey, let's have Homeland Security Act and Patriot Act, which, is, uh, which infringes uh, upon our freedoms. So they use these, uh, these coercive means so that it appears that the public is actually saying, we want this stuff. We mm -hmm. want more government control. You know, as Orwell said in his book, 1984, you will come to love Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Well, now, um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, I can remember hearing a 60s song from young people saying, you know, the war is canceled due to lack of interest. If the public had said, we're not buying what you all are saying in the media about getting involved in this European war. Yeah, we're hearing horrible stories. As I understand, there were a lot of lies told in World War One about the Germans to make sure the Americans sure. got involved. And, and we're not debating whether Hitler was horrible and did horrible things. That's understood. But he had to have resources to accomplish it. And yeah. that's the question is where he got it from. But but regarding people deciding on the war, if the public had just said, we smell something fishy here, we're not going to participate, would, would the elites have lost interest uh, if they found the public wasn't buying it? Or would they just simply arrange worse and worse Pearl Harbors until they finally broke the will of the public to buy into it? Uh, well, they, were, they, wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't really have to create uh, a, a separate sort of additional Pearl Harbors. Uh, what uh, what they would uh, what they would do is uh, you create uh, this sort of movement. The, the American public they know is wanting more isolation. They're very tired of war. They had World War One. You have the America First crowd. You have Charles Lindbergh saying, you know, we need to stay out of this war. It's a European war. Don't get involved, and so on. And so then you have this uh, this uh, sham of uh, Pearl Harbor where we knew in advance uh, what was coming. Now, if uh, if that hadn't uh, worked, 
what what they do is they continue they the, the pressure. In other words, they would say, okay, Hitler now has taken over Czechoslovakia, Poland, Hungary. Uh, if we don't get in, there goes England. And what happens is you will reach a certain point where economically it really affects you terribly if you don't do something. Uh, let's bring it up to today. Uh, people might say, oh, my goodness, we made a mistake with the GATT and the NAFTA and the World Trade Organization. Mm-hmm. This globalism is hor- horrible. We have seen the light. Let's get out of it. Well, the system is, create- is set in such a way that if you get out of it, you destroy yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the extension of you know multinational corporations overseas with factories and funding so that if you do pull back, then their stocks will plummet. Where are your 401ks? They're invested in those stocks. So you find a public which says, well, I don't like it, but I, you know, I need my retirement account. I need my pension. So I'll keep my mouth shut. I don't want to, but I'll keep my mouth shut. So like in World War II, at some point, uh, Hitler's uh, progress would have been so great that it would adverse, adversely affect us. World War I basically was that. Uh, we were out of it, we were out of it, out of it, and then uh, they they finally reached a decision in Congress. So, you know, our investment, I mean, we got a lot invested in the, in the Allies over there, the triple entente. And so to protect our investment, uh, we'll just, you know, look at there, the Lusitania. And, you know, control of the press, only the Des Moines Register printed the German warning that Lusitania was carrying not only American passages, but armaments uh, for England, and so they were going to sink it. Now, think about that. Why wouldn't the press want the public warned not to go into Lusitania because the Germans said mm-hmm. they were going to sink it? You know, so right. uh, the press is uh, complicit in a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. It leads to me to believe the only alternative, and this is wishful thinking, I know, is for the public to insist on being an independent, self-sufficient, liberty-loving people that keep their nose in their own business. Uh, yeah, but they've been conditioned to not do that. Uh, Fifty years ago, you could find a lot of those people. Uh, but the the conditioning process, I, I can't overemphasize, it's not just the culture, you know, the art, the music, and so forth. But the, the schools have pounded and pounded uh, youngsters as they came, came up through the system with this idea of uh, moral relativism. And that's why uh, when the schools today say, well, we're teaching what we um, – uh, all can agree on, like honesty. And everybody, all the Christians say, yeah, sounds good to me, yeah, honesty. Well, my question is, what kind of honesty? And they'll say, well, what do you mean, what kind of honesty? Well, is it biblical honesty or humanistic honesty? And here's the difference. Uh, everybody does things based on situations. But who's the authority? For example, this World War II. Hitler mm-hmm. captures uh, you. Uh, you're sitting there. Hitler says, tell me where all the Jews are. I'll you know, blow your head off. Now, as a Christian, with God as a moral authority, you know, no greater love hath a man than to sacrifice his life for his neighbor. So you right. say, okay, kill me. I'm not going to, you know, tell you where the Jews are. A humanist, on the other hand, he might do that, but he also might say, hey, you know, I don't believe in God. This is the only life I get. Sure, Hitler, the Jews are over there because I don't want my head blown off. Now, that's the difference mm-hmm. as to, you know, what kind of honesty. For a humanist, honesty is based on situations. Like, in other words, there can be times when it's good to be dishonest. Right. Because I, I am the authority. It's like Eve. You know, when Satan mm-hmm. tells Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, you will be as gods, he said, knowing the difference between good and evil. Before that, Eve, Adam said, yes, God, yes, God, mm-hmm. we won't do this, we will do this. But when, when, when Eve makes that decision, what she is saying, not thy will be done, God, but my will be done. I am my own God. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the difference between uh, the humanistic uh, teaching that they're putting out in the schools and the biblical mm-hmm. authority. And the elites believe who who run these these particular groups, these uh, humanistic groups, even in government, the departments of of education and welfare and these other things. They believe they have that knowledge to be able to make those decisions on behalf of the public uh, and to instruct them as such. I believe. Oh, yeah, like I said, the yeah. no, bless oblige, the nobility, you know, we know what's best. We have the breeding, the education, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take care of you, trust us, uh, we'll do things, uh, you know, that uh, that are good for you. you mm-hmm. know, just, just take our word for it. Would, would would you be so kind as just to give us ten minutes to wrap up? Would that, uh, are you feeling okay? Uh, my, my throat's getting, and like I, I think I told you, I need okay. to attend sure. my mother as well. I'll, Okay. Well, then we'll wrap up here. Can I get one last comment then from you? Sure. All, all that we've heard about the uh, the Rhodes Plan, and we'd love to have you back to to flesh mm-hmm. it out more because you have so much information on it. Um, th- this whole plan of putting people in these key leadership positions uh, to to invoke some worldwide benevolent control of the people sounds exactly what we have been reading about the Christian Dominionist. And it sounds like they're using Rhodes' playbook of trying to get their people in leadership position. They call them the seven mountains of societal leadership or influence, where they're putting their people in this. And they, they actually intend not to have a pluralistic society where everybody lives by their own conscience, but to believe to, to invoke what they believe are God's commandments uh, in their own view uh, in these key institutions and decision-making positions. And they have a plan worldwide, and that's why they're part of this democracy spreading around the world to spread, you know, uh, the Christian democracy and things like this. Are, are they actually using the same kind of techniques, in, in, in your view, to try to bring this about? Well, uh, whenever you use that sort of personnelist policy, uh, Cecil Rose used the Jesuit model, you know, put key Jesuits in key positions. Uh, Adam Weisopt uh, did the same thing with the Illuminati, used uh, that sort of model of uh, key people in key positions. Uh, and then you you can influence others. Uh, like I said, the Illuminati uh, became tutors to princes, so that when they became kings, they would be able to uh, control because they would uh, have taught them uh, a certain way to think. And so the danger with any of this is the the oneness of it. Uh, for example, people say, "Well, what's wrong with national education standards?" I say, "Well, it's the oneness. Uh, if if everybody had gotten into the new math back in the 60s, we would have." had a real disaster. If everybody had the national history standards, uh, again, it have been a real disaster because 99 senators, even the little, liberal ones, voted against uh, these national history standards a few years ago because of political correctness. So whenever you have a dominion uh, type of view, uh, those those people are, are literally proclaiming ours is the way, and anybody else, any other denominational difference is not the way. The, the way. And so, in effect, they establish a theocracy and uh, it, it, one of the the beauties of the American system in, in general is uh, we might have uh, a particular state doing something in education. If it works, fine. If it doesn't, the other states aren't burdened by it. Right. But to, to literally force, uh, let's say, a, a particular uh, theocratic view, uh, whatever it is, is uh, to deny the very religious uh, freedom uh, that the Bible talks about, that God and uh, Jesus uh, uh, talk about. I mean, God doesn't, isn't it? We have free will because God doesn't want to dictate that we must love him. It is supposed to be our choice to do that. Same thing with Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't go around saying, okay, here's the way it is and kill anybody who disagrees with me. 
so so the the idea of in effect having a theocracy is uh, anti-biblical. Mm-hmm. And and as they say, uh, they are to occupy until he comes, and so that becomes an occupying army, just like you have one in Iraq or any other part of the world itself. As well, it's we, not it's not uh, the occupation itself uh, has to be implemented, and you have to have certain correct views, or else something happens to you. Uh, and that's that's the problem with the theocracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to draw things to a close, but I, I, I know our listeners are wondering, and we ask this every week, what do we do with this information? What can we accomplish constructively with the kind of information we've just talked about? And I know they're going to do a lot more research on your books. What what can they do? What do you hope to accomplish your goal in them knowing this information? Well, uh, there's, there's the, the sort of good news and bad news. Uh, the, the bad news is even if we rallied everybody and tomorrow they, you know, became aware of everything and said, by George, you're right, and, uh, or they took back, uh, all of the, uh, uh, the rights that we should have and the government from the power elite and so forth. Uh, if the Bible's true, and it is, there is going to be an antichrist. So, you know, down the road, 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, whatever it is, everything's going to go to pot again mm-hmm. anyway, even if we win tomorrow. However, in my view, uh, what the Bible talks about with the, the, the watchman on the wall is we as individuals have a responsibility to do the best we can to reach as many people as we uh, specifically can, primarily interested in their souls. Right. Yes, you warn them about the paralyte and so forth. But uh, I'm, I have this big fear, even more than a fear of the the, uh, the world government coming. I have a fear uh, that grows out of when the Bible says, uh, let's say there's roughly today a billion, roughly, mm-hmm. Christians around the world. And most of them, you know, they think they're either saved or if they're good, they'll be saved, going to heaven in general. Right? But biblically, it says in four places there are only a few who are chosen or saved. Mm-hmm. Just a few, you know, narrow right. is the path and so forth. Right. Now, those two things don't uh, juxtapose well. So there must be some massive delusion going on. And what I think is happening is uh, all across the land there is an excising by pastors of certain key biblical passages. Uh, for example, uh, Matthew 25, verse 40 through 46. You You can't find a pastor who mentions verse 46 where Jesus literally is telling these very sincere Christians, oh, Lord, when did we see you naked? Mm-hmm. That they're going to hell forever. They avoid that. You know, that is a horrible thought. Jesus is telling these really sincere, well-meaning Christians are going to hell forever. Because the lesson there that Christ is giving is, your acceptance of me, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, your acceptance of me has to be complete, 100%, not 99 so a Bill Clinton or you know a John Smith or whoever literally has to be able to look uh, uh, Christ in the face Judgment Day and say, yes, you have been Lord of my sex life. I have not fornicated because in this list in the Bible of things that send you to hell is fornication. You have to be able to do that if you're going to say, yes, you are Lord of all of my life. And uh, there's there's a squishiness there's a squishiness going on, and I'm afraid if there's only few who are going to be saved. And there's a billion people. You have a lot of people misled. So souls are ultimately important. Dr. Cuddy, I'd like to hear you sometime talk more about these kind of matters. Mm-hmm. I know you talk a lot about historical matters, but I think you have a lot to say on this front, too. And whether it's in News with Views or uh, Dr. Stan show or here, we'd sure like to hear more about that. And uh, I would like to invite you back. You know we just scratched the surface here. Um, the, the kind of material you do is what is of keen interest to us and our listeners. 
and they need it to really round out and, again, to, to put all the pieces together uh, with your research. You could take any one of these questions we had and easily fill a couple hours with us on it with, with plenty to spare. But but uh, as you are available and you have time, we'd just like to welcome you back uh, at your leisure. And we hope you enjoyed the process. I know your throat is yeah. very tenuous, but we hope you enjoyed being here and that, that uh, your information and work is treated with the respect it deserves. Thank you very much for having me. And and how can our listeners find out more about your research, try to support well, you or stay appraised of your development? Uh, news with use uh, website, I try to get an article up every other Monday. Uh, and if you just go today or any day in newswiththeviews.com, scan down the left side of the page, you'll see a list of names. Mine's like number six or seven. You click on that, and up will come in reverse order, the most recent at the top, about um, 170 articles on a variety of subjects. Mm-hmm. And our listeners need to do that. They need to go on and find your books on Amazon or wherever they can find them. I think Dr. Stan carries some of them, too. The other thing I'm going to ask personally they do is that they contact someone like Tom Horn, who's a regular on our show, and say, republish these books so you can get some yeah, proceeds back. I know you've not asked for this, uh, but we believe in what you're doing, and people need resources to do quality research work. You need income coming in to support, to use your brain, your understanding of what's going on. Uh, we need to hear more from you in, in, in your work and what you're doing. So I would ask our listeners that, that it's somewhat in their hands, if they want to support Dr. Cuddy and his work, he's not asking for that. He's just quietly with his humble resources uh, doing this. He's not part of these elite, at least as I understand it. He uh, didn't no, have... but I know him. <laughs> they were, I think they were grooming me. I have a letter from Is 63 that right? from Arnold Toynbee, one of the members of that uh, Rhodes Society. I do know Toynbee. Is yeah. that right? Is that right? You know yeah. what? I'm glad you turned away. Uh, from the dark side, uh, it's it's seductive, and it takes someone really knowing their Lord Jesus to be able to turn away. And if you look in the chapter in Hebrews about the Hall of Faith, you see what the reward on earth for those who follow Christ. They live in caves, they're naked, they're hungry, and it says the, the world was not worthy of them. But uh, there are great rewards in heaven that are going to be much greater than what the elites have to offer any of us here. And, right, and eternity is a long time. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we will have a lot of time to be able to enjoy the fruits of what our Lord has to share with us and the work he has for us to do and the positions that he's grooming us for. So thank you so much, Dr. Cuddy. Please come back again. Would you come back and join us again? Thanks for having me. Sure. Okay. Thank you. God bless you, and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks again. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom, dog entertainer, bionic. (laughs) Dog entertain. I think you referred to our staff member Pyro. Yep. Yeah, staff member. Been with quote, us. In, unquote. Been with us in the studio. He fills in ably for you when you're gone. Oh. Uh, that was a conclusion of our discussion with Dr. Cuddy. Um, boy, I wish I could have had him for, for just another 30 hours. I think we could have gotten a good chunk off with that. But well, had to go. The, and one of the things that you, you know, I he thought, he abides by the thing. P.T. Barnum always leave him wanting more. Yeah. You know? I was gonna. I thought you were gonna put the Google clusters in there, but that was the Grand Ole Opry. No, I didn't. didn't no, no. <laughs> but uh, I you was, got your fun books there. I was glad to hear him talk about the religious aspects and spiritual things as he sees it. I was gonna make the same point. Oh, okay. It's like we've been around for a while together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, uh, the he, he, I don't hear him get an opportunity to talk about that. There's so much data he's putting in mm-hmm. historical data. That puts some of that stuff into context, and it was sort of refreshing to hear. Well, it sounds like we could do two shows, one to continue with the data that he has uncovered, and then, of course, another show with 
what do you do with it? You mean like maybe if we split him into multiple people or something? Yeah, well, we'll call up Colin Ross and... You know, okay, yeah, that's right. Bring, bring the writer. Yeah. Writer disorder. Yeah. yeah, I hate doing the, the torture and things like that to Dr. Sorry, Cuddy. He's such this a is fine man. the radio station. <laughs> Thanks for that tip. Yeah. You know, somebody else who's dissociated is our friend Merv, who could tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we gotta go. Yeah, we gotta okay. go. We gotta go. That's it with Dr. Cuddy. We've got some uh, special stuff to talk about the next two days. Mm-hmm. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Thomas Bionicus Maximus. Wow. Are you like Roman now or something? Yeah, can't you? Didn't, Gladiator. Didn't, didn't the helmet tip me off? Oh, yeah, the, it should have. And the 24-inch sword? And, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful uh, to be with you here for another day of Future Quake. We hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Dennis Cuddy this week. We're sorry it was a little truncated. Um Brother Dennis has had uh, throat surgery sometime recently, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, as much as I'd love for him to go longer because he had much more to say, we're just going to invite him back. we got to rest his throat a little bit. So mm-hmm. that gives us a little bit more time, and I'm sorry for our listeners that they have to listen to us. That's the only yeah. That's the only bad thing. What's that sound? Oh, it's a thousand radio dials all turning uh-huh. in unison. <laughs> well, I have a couple interesting things to mention, right. um, if you don't mind, and you can Please. dive in with any news with you. Please do. Um at the time of this recording, uh, I just wanted to share with all of you uh, who had been praying for my family, for my brother-in-law, David, and his wife and, and my wife, um, that last night, sometime around midnight, uh, Brother David went home to be with the Lord. And um, he is uh, receiving his reward right now. And he's a, a wonderful Christian gentleman uh, who only this phase of his life, this earthbound phase, is over. And now he takes over uh, his reward and his position of authority that the Lord is giving him and, and all the rewards that go with faithful service. Mm. And so I want to thank all of you for intervening and praying. We've had people in a number of churches, our close friends, and then our, our church body family here on Future Quake. All the brethren here have been praying, and I want to thank you so much. And if I could ask you just as a last favor to just say another quick prayer or two before you move on to other needs uh, for... Uh, his wife, Karen, and for my wife and for the family, uh, that they can uh, heal and move on and get the comfort of the Lord and uh, help us to be able to help them and are growing together. And many people of you all have emailed me and said that you've gone through circumstances like this too. And and this is a consequence of the fall. Um, this is something that uh, uh, we can only be redeemed out of. Sure and, makes uh, you mad at Satan, gonna, doesn't it? Well, and that's how that's the only way I could deal with it. What, the other day... Uh, when I was there, when uh, 
you know, David received this information that struck me so much to see such a godly young man that I admire so much have to go through this. And I just put myself in his shoes. And, uh, and that frustration about how this could happen in life, I could only deal with it by realizing that that anger needs to be directed at the adversary. Hmm. And that he is going to pay the price for all of this. You know, man, I mean, Satan purposely went in with the intention of deluding mankind mm-hmm. for his intentional destruction. Mankind was a little soft, you know, short-sighted. Yeah, a little bit, uh, little bit weak. Weak, all these kind of things, gullible, uh, and is responsible for their actions. You mm-hmm. know, they were told not to do something, and they did. Mm-hmm. But, but Satan is the one who premeditated this all along. And we'll all be judged for our own things and issues, but Satan's got a lot to answer for. And the Bible says, not only he, he, but death and Hades are going to be cast alive in the lake of fire. Well, we're also taking over his desk job, so. Uh, Did I tell you, I don't know if you you saw the information about um, what my wife had said, uh, Brother David did. The day before he passed away. Uh, there was there, no, but but you know my boss is on yeah. your wife's email string, and he mentioned yeah. he was getting glimpses of the well, the yeah, or just something. a very brief mention. Um, evidently, right in the middle of the night, um, uh, a nurse happened to drop by for a little while, and was with him, and and he's been with the medication and the pain mm-hmm. medication and things, and not been lucid for the most time, you know, mm-hmm. not been conscious. But they said suddenly he just opened his eyes, and as I understand it, he had a smile on his face. Mm -hmm. And he just said, it is so awesome, and then went back to sleep. Wow. Wow. I know. I know. And I thought, you know, that that was really not, I mean, it was for his benefit, but it was really more for our benefit. I mean, that was his last testimony. That was his last testimony of the reality of what we're all looking for. Because without the resurrection, there is nothing. Like Paul says, we're of all men most foolish. Mm-hmm. And his last testimony was that. That's amazing. That's uh-huh. really incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. He looked at it. He looked at where we're going. And that was in the vernacular of today. That was the best words he could come up with. And what he saw was, it's so awesome. And I'm sure it's going to be awesome when we see it. So I just want to thank all of you all for that. I hope that uh, is an encouragement to you all out there. The resurrection is a reality. Jesus was seen by over 500 people. People gave their lives, as you've talked about, mm-hmm. Tom, many times. They went off into the far corners of the world separately. Gave up their gave lives. Gave their lives. Yeah. In, in obscurity, mm-hmm. uh, under great torture and duress because mm-hmm. of their assurance, absolute assurance of what they witnessed. And all they had to do to get out of it was say, oh, this was just a lie. Mm-hmm. Or I was mistaken, or I was deluded. Yeah, Oops. but they didn't. Yeah, but they didn't, and um, um, we've got that assurance. And so, any of you out there who are suffering or suffering with your loved ones right now, uh, I just hope that can be some comfort. But I had I had another experience today, if you'd like for me to share. Sort of interesting. You didn't have one of them dreams, did no, you? No, no. But uh, um, I still be blessed by others. But no, I had yeah. a different experience okay, today. Unless there's something you want to share right now. Uh, uh, no, you're you're. That you're was sure? that was like the most touching story we've had. I've heard all day. Yeah. So uh, keep well, going. And you hear lots of stories of the power of God on a daily basis. Yeah, your, that's actually true. <laughs> I know. Um, 
I'm going to read with you just a little story and then tell you something where I got involved uh, today. Really, th- this is a time where, where I'm getting ready to go to be with family. I'm leaving as soon as this show's over, basically, mm-hmm. to be with family uh, to celebrate David's life. So, uh, But in the meantime, scrambling to sort of get life together and things ready, I was in the car running an errand, and I heard a story. And I don't hear local news hardly ever, but I heard a local story <clears throat> about for two seconds about a, a new uh, Islamic center in Murfreesboro mm-hmm. that was vandalized. That's too bad. And they painted on the and spray paint on it, you are not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I heard this on the radio just after I had been going through my in-basket on my computer mm-hmm. and reading email after email from wonderful Christian people talking about the Islamic threat and about they're coming to kill all of mm-hmm. us. They're coming it's, over the gates. It's a big plan. Yeah, it's like Ingsoc from 1984. Yeah, it's an imaginary enemy that's mm-hmm. laying out there. They're, every one yeah. of them, their plan is to take us over. And, and it just kept, and, you know, I had several videos on my computer where people were sending this stuff to me. And then I see this story. And if you don't mind, I looked up on the Tennessean. I can tell you some details what it is. Sure. Uh, it says... Uh, uh, Islamic Council wants probe of vandalism at mosque site. This just happened. Spray painting a sign called hate crime uh, at Murfreesboro. The Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, which you've heard of, is in the yeah, news. They're <clears throat> not the cleanest organization. Well, CARE is a group that, in a show long, long, long time ago in WRFN, I had a guest who battled CARE, mm-hmm. and we were sympathetic to his rights of free speech at the university, uh, and CARE did not want him to share his beliefs. Yeah. But uh, let's listen to the rest of it here. It says, CARE called on local, state, and national law enforcement agencies Monday to investigate an apparently bias-motivated act of vandalism at the site of the proposed mosque just outside Murfreesboro. Over the weekend, a sign marking the future site uh, uh, of the Islamic Center of Murfreesboro was spray-painted with the words, Not Welcome. And there's a picture at the Tennessean.com website. Mm-hmm. It says, The council quickly labeled the act a hate crime. As our nation celebrates the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, which ironically was this weekend, I know. Yeah, I know. we must so come crazy. together in a spirit of mutual respect and tolerance, not of hatred or division, Council National Executive Director Nihad Awad said in a news release. This apparent attempt to divide our nation along religious lines should be investigated as a hate crime and must be repudiated by all who respect the principle of religious diversity. A Tennessee man was sentenced last November to more than 14 years in prison for burning down the Islamic Center in Columbia. Nazi swastikas and the phrase white power were painted on the mosque walls. Investigating this event as a hate crime uh, would show that actions such as these won't be tolerated by society, said Council National Communications Director Ibrahim Hooper in a Monday phone conversation. Because of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday Monday, no reply to the uh, call for action was heard from law enforcement. Calls to the Tennessee bureaus of the FBI in Nashville and Memphis were not returned, nor were calls for comment to the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Murfreesboro Police Spokesman Kyle Evans said the department has no jurisdiction in the case. Replies from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation also revealed that agency does not have statutory authority to open an investigation. Oh, come on. TBI would only investigate if the district attorney general requested us to, the spokesman said. Calls to the Rutherford County District Attorney's Office were not returned as the office was closed for the holiday. Hooper said the Council on uh, American Islamic Relations did not expect a reply from law enforcement Monday because of the holiday, but hopes police will reply in the coming days and investigate. Uh, This is a very serious matter. We've unfortunately seen too many kinds of these incidents in the recent months all over the U.S., Hooper said. We would hope that people would stand by the Muslim community around the country and speak out against these hate-filled acts. 
Hooper said such behaviors are often seen after terrorist incidents, such as in Northwood, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, Fort Hood, Texas, excuse me, where an army major serving a psychiatrist shot and killed 13 people and wounded 30 others. Naito Malik Hassan said he was a practicing Muslim. Such claims are a direct result or direct insult to practicing Muslims, however, said Hooper, who believes those using Islam to spread hate are distorting its true message. There are millions of American Muslims who are going to work and contributing to society on a daily basis, and unfortunately we get tarred with the brush of terrorism because of things that happen, both in the United States and overseas, and we have no control over. Hooper, who grew up in the Midwest as of European ancestry, points out that anyone interested in Islam should, Islam should go to the local mosque to learn the true meaning of Islam, which literally means submission to God. One does not have to be of Middle Eastern descent to be accepted, he added. All this goes back to lack of information. People see a violent event from overseas being carried out falsely in the name of Islam and assume that it is true Islam. Mm-hmm. We don't assume that for other faiths or ethnicities, and we shouldn't do it to Islam or Muslims. So that's the story on it, okay? Mm-hmm. That's well, too bad. Um, and, and like I said, most of the people that we know uh, take a hard line... <laughs> Take a hard line toward uh, Muslims being a main goal of taking over our country, yeah, they're like, taking over the world. They all wake up and spend 22 hours a day, you know, it, in a in a factory making minarets and mm-hmm. crescents and breathing. Yeah. Well, and just just night and day thinking about how they're going to destroy us. Well, yeah. um, I just couldn't leave it at that. So what I did Perfect. was, um, in the very little bit of time I had today, I went and looked up the Islamic Center. Uh, of Murfreesboro, and there was a telephone number of someone that was a point of contact. It's icmtn.org. Mm-hmm. Okay, I looked up somebody by the name of Sharin, and uh, Sharin's number is there on the uh, website. And I just called. I didn't know if that was man, woman, mm-hmm. who it was. Yeah. And it was a uh, sounded like a relatively young lady answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Sharin, are you affiliated with this organization? She said yes. And uh, I said, I, I am an evangelical Christian, and I said, I just heard, incidentally, about this event, and I just wanted to tell you I'm ashamed for my fellow citizens that this happened. Yeah. And I well, we don't s- know that evangelical Christians perpetrated I said fellow citizen. Oh. I don't know. I don't know who did oh, okay. it. Okay. Um, but I said, uh, I just want to stand with you as a fellow uh, American uh, in your right to practice your religion freely mm-hmm. and peaceably. Cool. And that... If someone offers a, a violent response to you, it's a threat to all of us. Mm-hmm. And I said, I will do everything in my power. I said, I'll try to make a note of this on the show and encourage everyone to stand strong against violence like mm-hmm. this in a community. Mm-hmm. And she was shocked. I'll bet. She probably she, had a whole lot of calls like that. She was shocked. She said, you do not know what this means to me. And she was just taken aback. She says, you just cannot believe what this means to me. You as a Christian being willing to call me about this. And she said she said that, uh, you know, she says, the reason why we're here is because we just wanted a place where we could practice our faith peaceably. Mm-hmm. And that's why we came to America. Mm-hmm. was just to practice our faith in peace. Mm-hmm. Because you see, some Muslims are attacked by other Muslims yeah. for their faith. Sure. Um, like Protestants and the Catholics. That's right. That's right. And I happen to think, you know, wasn't that how our country was founded? Because we had other people who were of the Christian faith that came here because they were being persecuted and mm-hmm. they wanted a safe place yeah. to to believe as they saw fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 
you know, we were talking about how we would pray for this person mm-hmm. as well as for them. I said, is there anything we could do? I said, you let us know if there's something, if we need to stand with you mm-hmm. as fellow citizens of society standing against us or whatever. And she said to pray for this person that did this and said, if you would just pray that this person uh, would see how God could show them a better way. Hmm. So... Um, I just want to share that with you all. It's icmtn.org. And uh, I would challenge our listeners. Now, a lot of you listening to this would say, how dare you? These people are the enemy. They're the enemy of Christ. Yeah. Um, how dare you do this and give in to them? And it's like a crusade atmosphere all over again. Sure. Those of you who uh, think differently, who, who remember Jesus, who was a friend of sinners, mm-hmm. even worse... Then, you know, we're talking about somebody of a devout faith trying to please God. Yeah. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Yeah. And hung out with them. Yeah, I know. I, this, this, this jives a lot with some stuff that I've been discussing with other people of late. Um, there are, there are places right here in Nashville where, uh, a naturalized American who understands the language could walk in and literally, literally be, um, accosted in a good way with people who really, really need uh, help translating languages and some yeah. and stuff like yeah. that, and it just seems to me like if you wanted to spread the gospel, <laughs> you've got people who would be like your captive audience mm-hmm. because, right. and all you got to do is just show up there and help. You know? Right, but I, you know, I still wouldn't recommend exploiting people. Share share your sure. faith if opportunity presents itself. But remember, these are human beings; they have sure. dignity. No, I, and I'm not saying not like a... strap them to the ceiling once you've helped them and right, make right. them watch the gospel or something. Right, but right, right. Establish relationships. Yeah. Establish mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but and I guess my point is that there's nobody out there doing it. It just sort of drives me crazy. Like, you you know, I won't share kind of all the stuff that's that I'm doing and going going on with mm-hmm. me, but you know, my plate is pretty full. And, but here's another opportunity that's so awesome. I'm thinking about dropping something else and yeah. maybe going to do it. Yeah. And there's, you know, why didn't anybody else do it? Why why is this why is this crusade atmosphere? Right. Why is it like we gotta go kill him? Ingsoc forever. Well, this down partic- with Goldstein. You know, it's one thing to go feed people who are hungry or to do these kind of things that are quote non-controversial that mm-hmm. everybody knows is good. But if you do something like this, reach out a hand to people like this. You're going to get a lot of shots taken at you from behind. Oh yeah, from your side. Uh huh. They're they're going to come after you uh, in in this respect. And one uh, w- one thing I would suggest to our listeners, while well, it might be a good idea to start making some friends with some people that are Muslim and others, uh, in addition to sharing your faith mm-hmm. and in developing relationships, um, these people have lived in an environment here in the states of of being looked at by people as terrorists, mm-hmm. of being, you know, while they're trying to raise their families, trying to do their kind of thing, worship God as they see fit. And I think everyone understands here on the show that I'm I, I'm not trying to minimize our differences in our theology, our understanding of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. There's a major difference in how we perceive who Jesus is. Uh, even though they regard Jesus as a great prophet, mm-hmm. uh, we believe much more, obviously, and that's not trivial. But... But what I'm saying is these people have been trying to raise their kids, do their stuff, walking around with people looking at them, mostly from church folk, mm-hmm. calling these people terrorists well, and dangerous to be monitored. Folk, yeah. And as we know now, Christians, people who believe in end-time prophecies, who believe in the sanctity of life, are now listed on government reports here as terrorists. Yeah. The shoe is on the other foot. Yeah. 
Now we're going to be looked at. People that listen or record future quake shows or similar mm -hmm. things are going to be looked at in the same way as Islamic people have recently by our mm -hmm. federal government and by the public. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 what is you, you remember the quote? Was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer or was it not Niemöller? Niemöller. Um, like first they came for the first they came for the communists and I didn't do anything, and then they came for the gypsies and I didn't do anything, and then they came for the Jews and I didn't do anything. And then they came for me. There was nobody around to do anything. Don't you think this could apply here? No. <laughs> I mean, if 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 we don't stand up to uh, attacks on religious expression by people who we differ with, do we have any prayer that they'll stand up for us? Uh, yeah. Now that the no. now that we're on the advent of us being the ones with the target on us. No. I mean. It's it's it seems to me painfully obvious that this is something that at least some of us should do. Mm -hmm. You know, go look. We don't. Uh, we obviously have some differences about who Jesus is, but I affirm your right to be uh, to to practice your faith as a fellow American. And and even if this were quote a Christian nation, which we've documented on the show, yeah, so many ways that it acts that, unchristian. That's spurious at best. Right. But even if it were, it would not be Christian. Not to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That would be a fundamental part of being Christian. Yeah. Uh, of Christ's teachings. Yeah, I know. Is is to do that very thing. Uh, you know, there are going to be some Christians here who are going to say, uh, well, you know when the time's tough, the Islamic people will just stab us in the back. We can't count on them. They'll use this as an opportunity. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, fellow Christians are stabbing us in the back. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> right now. And it, and, it, and it says in the Bible that you'll be turned over by your brothers and sisters and other people. Yeah, you know, know they're, they're going to be doing that. But uh, I just, you know, I just can't help. That's, that's between them and God. I just can't help. Like Matthew 24, uh, you know, the disciples go, Jesus, tell us what it's going to be like at the end times. And what does he keep saying over and over again? Don't be deceived. Mm -hmm. Don't be deceived, guys. Yeah. Don't be deceived. Well, uh, another point I was going to... Well, anyway, what I was going to say is is that uh, I'm doing some work on this Dreyfus affair that happened at the turn of the, the 20th century mm -hmm. about a Jewish man, a, uh, a military man in the French army, Jewish, who was set up and was framed uh, unjustly. Uh, the church, even after they found out that it probably was a setup stood with the military and others to send him away and lock him away. You know who came to his aid of this Jewish man? The Islamic press in the Arab nations. Hmm. They came to his uh, uh they came to his uh, rescue and said that it was injustice and they would not stand for injustice for this Jewish person. Wow. Now, when Zionism came along, that sort of changed things. Muddy the that. waters. <laughs> it, it really interrupted the somewhat yeah. somewhat uh, cordial re relationship there. But um, you know Michael Bajant's uh, book that we reviewed. Mm -hmm. it, you can see what the game plan is. The game plan is is to take all three monotheistic religions. And Judaism, and Christians, Islam. Mm -hmm. They're not going to distinguish the three of us. They're going to they're going to take us all out. Mm -hmm. And they're going to set all of us up. Now we understand God in a different way, but we also three have a bullseye on us. Mm -hmm. And I really think we're getting set up that somebody is behind trying to set these guys up oh, sure. as the main guys for us to steer us away from who the real enemy is. That is one point that we can totally agree on. I'm I'm tired of this like 1984 Ingsoc, mm -hmm. you know, you're with us or you go to room 101 type of propaganda. Yeah. yeah. I've I've just 
I'm not going to, I don't know, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. Well, I'll, I'll cl- my last thought I'll make is, is at the future. I've mentioned this before. If you go back and look, I believe it's in Isaiah, it talks about one day that the people of Egypt and the people of Syria will be called his children. Mm-hmm. And, he, and the people of Israel, his inheritance. Mm-hmm. But it says that people will worship him and will be his children in Egypt and Syria. A remnant, a small remnant. Hmm. So God is doing something much greater than sometimes our evangelical minds can conceive. Uh, what he may do when he reveals himself fully to a remnant. We already know what's going to happen with the Jews. In addition to the Christians, there's going to mm-hmm. be a remnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think these passages suggest even a remnant within uh, Muslims are going to somehow, by God's revelation, see the full measure and identity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those who are devout. Remember Cornelius. Maybe. I don't know. It might be a stretch, but... Well, I'm saying only through the work of God. They're going to have yeah. to understand the totality of who Jesus is. Oh, okay. But what I'm saying is is that, that you may the Bible says what the Bible... On me or the Bible says what the Bible says. It yeah. says his children are going to come from there and worship him. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be called his people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, put your, you put yourself in the shoes of... The, the early Christians who were all Jews, mm-hmm. and when Peter is sent to see Cornelius, who was not a Jew, mm-hmm. they understood Christianity to be a Jewish movement, and suddenly God says that, that his offerings he were doing were, were acceptable to him, and he didn't know the full totality of what he needed, but God took the effort. Mm-hmm. God took the effort to send the witness to share with him. We know what the, what the missionaries are saying about the visions of Jesus that Muslims are having mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah, it's just off the hook. Okay, but God, God's taken the initiative yeah. to people who are pure in heart and true uh, in their devotion to him, and he will give them. It says, he who seeks finds. Hmm. So those who are the seekers in this world will find the revelation that God will fulfill his word, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I may be out on the edge there, but uh, I'm just saying we, we ought to be a little careful who we immediately demonize. We may not know everything that God is up to. Yeah, well, those are profound words. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'm sorry I took up most of our time. I thought it was important. uh, It's okay. Because it was something to touch us locally here. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm sure that that there's people. In fact, you can see them out there. They're they're gathering at the gate of the The torches. (laughs) Those aren't flashlights. Yeah, this is not a popular position. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, and I, I will absolve you and the radio station no, 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 and everyone else of it. I'm here to guard your back. You guard my okay. back, I'll guard your back. Okay. Uh, when you act in love, I don't see how that's a bad way. Sure. Well. The default is to act in love. Yeah, so, it should be. Sorry I chewed up her time here. You got a, you got a minute, minute and a half you want to bless us? Yeah. I, well, I just wanted to mention that the... Uh, you know, we've talked about it briefly last week, yeah. but the last day's uh, conference, 2010 conference there in Antioch is happening uh, April 23rd and 24th. 23rd and 24th. Yeah. There's two guys that are just eminently, I would say, a genius speaking there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you must be talking about you and me then. Yes. It's the only people who come to mind that fit, fit that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, along with Russ Dizdar and uh, Chris White and uh, uh, Guy Malone. Guy Malone, yeah. He's coming out, man. Yeah. So it's going to be a big party. Man, it'll be an incredible. It'll be the biggest thing that's hit Nashville. Yeah, it'll be bigger than the tornadoes, like 92 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard the... Uh, almost as much destruction. The tea bag, <laughs> the tea party national convention is uh, going to go on here, too, in Nashville. Really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's coming up here, uh, possibly in February. So this is where it's at, Music City. That's fast. Yeah. Wow. And the uh, New Agers will be coming here for the High Strangeness Convention this summer. Well, 
Well, so. um, hopefully they listen to Future Quake and get converted. Amen, brother. Did you see that? See Amen. that on, on Mike? Yeah. Let, let's make one thing that's clear. Yeah. One thing we want to see is all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and oh, his that's fullness. That's the truth. That's the one thing you heard on the show that we can guarantee is that everyone, no matter where they come from, where their background, their walk, their ethnicity, whatever they're thinking right this moment, yeah. we wish for them the best thing we can offer them, like, which is a saving faith of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. That's one of those things that's easy to say, but... I've really come to the understanding, like, people, everybody really needs Jesus. Amen. Like, really needs Jesus. Amen, brother. So. And people also need Merv to tell them how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go where we're late. Okay, go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, listening to our musings. Mull over it. Give us an email with your thoughts. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Learning to love the New World Order. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, that's a big joke. Bionic. You had me worried there for a minute. <laughs> I was going to call security in. Yeah. Get get Pyro to drag you out and bury you. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. Yeah. I'm sorry, do you have a comment? I was going to say, uh, well, if I ever do actually say that stuff for real, you have my permission to dispose of me in the ground. Be or... like invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. <laughs> I like the New World Order. The, the anti-Tom. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, the interview this week with Dennis Cuddy, and uh, we had a time to uh, review some special topics yesterday and uh, some news, mm-hmm. but um, today's going back to a traditional Friday, which means it is what? It is the day that we get on the radio and do stories that have a lot to do with Revelation 18. Okay, you're right. That's it. it I accept is. your answer. Yay! Of course, I would have called it tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. That's true. Like I have for that's, the last five years. That's way more catchy than mine. But I'll actually, I think I've just called it that. Well, it was more informal back in the WRFN days. Yeah. Now it's Friday is it. Yeah, Friday is no world. Like yeah. it. That's right. And given it, would you like to share a story with us? Okay. Do we want to go, are you feeling Italian, or are you feeling feeling like a G-man? You're supposed to pick this before we come on. You're supposed to rank order them. Oh, I, well, I'm asking you. Okay. Well, where I come from, we call that Italian, so give us I, the Italian. The Italian. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like my grandma. She would say that. Really? Italian. She and I are a lot alike. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Hmm. Have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, hairstyle. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, it- Italy, Italy, to require anyone who uploads video to the internet to obtain government authorization. Uh, this is via the industry standard and was uh, dated, well, January 17th. New rules to be introduced by government decree will require people who upload videos onto the Internet to obtain authorization from the communications ministry, similar to that required by television broadcasters, drastically reducing freedom to communicate over the web, opposition lawmakers have warned. The decree is ostensibly an enactment of a European Union uh, directive on product placement and is due to go into effect at the end of January after being subjected to a non-binding appraisal by Parliament. On Thursday, opposition lawmakers held a press conference in Parliament to denounce the new rules, which require government authorization for the uploading of videos, uh, which give individuals who claim to have been defamed a right to reply and prevent the replay of copyright material as a threat to freedom of expression. The decree subjects the transmission of images on the net to rules typical of television and requires prior ministerial authorization with an incredible limitation on the way the Internet currently functions. Opposition Democratic Party lawmaker Paolo Gentiloni Gentiloni told the press conference, I tell you, the Russian ones aren't that bad, but the Italian ones just kill me. Uh, Article 4 of the decree specifies that the dissemination over the Internet of moving pictures, whether or not accompanied by sound, requires ministerial authorization. Critics say it will therefore apply to the websites of newspapers, to IPTV, and to mobile TV, obliging them to take on the status as television broadcasters. Italy joins the club of the censors, together with China, Iran, and North Korea, said Gentiloni's party, uh, Gentiloni party's colleague, Vincenzo Vita. Okay. So they're, they're moving, you know, this is, this is also in concert, you know, with Australia talking about we want to implement Chinese style internet censorship. I'm getting a feeling there's a trend of, um, less freedom for people to do what they want as they please. Mm-hmm. Is it just me or do you detecting a trend? I'm definitely detect- detecting a trend, and it's tough because I would like to, I would like to, uh, myself, I would sort of like mm-hmm. to un, you might say unplug a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would, my my big dream these days is to like buy a little little twenty acres and have a little tiny farm, grow mm-hmm. my own food, mm-hmm. grow my own vegetables, and you know what they that the government calls those places now compounds. Compounds, yeah. Well, that would mean. That would mean that I'm ATF on the ATF right would be having like a little pin and a map with your place. Yeah, yeah. Waiting to go. Yeah, I'd have like black vans driving up and down on my road all, all all hours of the day and night. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing people running around in my yard. Yeah, they'd have news stories on the news making up stories about Compound, you. Compound, yeah. They, well, they'd get that PR firm that, that they uh, they used to testify before Congress during the Iraq War. Yeah. All those nurses. Yeah. I, you know. Say whatever they want. Yeah. Well, would you like to hear a little story? Sure. Um, some reason, I don't know what happened in my printing, but I missed part of the second page, which you'll get you'll get the gist of it. Okay. Okay. This is from a British uh, newspaper called the Register. It says uh, Israelis develop Nazi doodlebug sonic death wave cannon, a bunker bust <laughs> bunker bust boom blaster offered for riot pacification. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just came out. Israel intends to offer for export one of its latest and most terrifying military technologies, a sonic cannon or thunder generator 
power, uh, powered by devastating bunker buster fuel air explosive technology. Like used, a Moab. Yeah, used kinda. in secret Nazi super weapons of the 40s to deliver sound rays so powerful as to be instantly deadly to anyone hearing them. Great. I know some people have said the future quick I was signal say, has a similar effect <laughs> on people. It's basically like a CD mm-hmm. player. Yeah, right. quake. overcome with boredom, maybe. Yeah. Or, looking at it another way, Israeli businessmen have decided to market an LPG-fueled, I guess it's uh, LPE gas-fueled yeah. uh, bird-scaring device as a less lethal, quotations, riot control weapon. Defense News reports from Tel Aviv on the Thunder Generator, which started life as a bird-scaring device intended to keep feathered intruders away from crops, airports, and so forth. It uses bottled LPG to create an explosive fuel air mixture inside a tubular construct, uh, combustion chamber or cannon barrel. The mix is then detonated, causing a loud explosion, whose blast vents out one end of the chamber. Boy, what a really sophisticated device. Yeah. I know a, a lot of teenagers who've built things like this. I built a spud gun there. Yes, I was going to say a spud mile. gun. That's yeah. what it is. Real sophisticated. You know, my PhD's in combustion, so this stuff always gets an eyebrow raise out of me. Yes. Yeah. Info. Boy, I'll bet you build one one amazing spud gun. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, according to Defense News, this is a, quote, patented process, oh, involving pulse detonation technology. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting, um, that's a very interesting thing. When you get something to detonate, you get a lot more energy out of it. Uh, there might be some new special sauce involved, but the basic idea is an old one. Pulse detonated fuel air mixtures were used in the air gas pulse jet, which propelled the Nazis V1, or what they call the doodle bug, mm-hmm. cruise missiles during World War One, for example. That's why you hear that, you know, when it would fire oh, off. So, so that was actually that was bombs. actually a pulse generated uh-huh. engine. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, they I did a lot of stuff back then. I in didn't fact, know that. the uh, when I was working with Air Force propulsion, they just really started getting involved in that not mm-hmm. long ago. Wow. Some guy took an engine block out of a junkyard and made a car engine run on pulse detonation. Really? It's very, very loud. I tried to get them to put it in the Indy 500. But, um, it says fuel air explosions can also be generated without a confining container, uh, as in the various kinds of bunker buster music munitions employed by the world's militaries, uh, so-called as their prolonged overpressure is particularly hard on structures. Russia's fa- m- father of all bombs they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that would be FOAB, uh, and the British shoulder-fired anti-structures musician or munition or of this type, Igor Flidman, one-time Soviet scientist, decided to use the principle for bird scaring after moving to Israel in 1991. The use of cheap, clean LPG was seen as a win compared to nasty chemical bird repellents. Uh, and they're also used in America uh, for burrow-busting weapons uh, in America and against troublesome. Squ- Tree scoffing squirrels, but can you pour a fuel air bomb against squirrels? Yeah, what what happened to like getting a slingshot or something? Yeah, good know? thing Opie didn't have that major. <laughs> but now it seems that Israel's booming industry, excuse me, a weapon industry, Dude. has decided that riot control devices are more profitable than bird scare kit, and now it's been licensed for export as a weapon. Uh, Friedman says that it could be lethal inside 10 meters, but oh, yeah. if used uh, as intended outside 30 meters range, it would cause no permanent ill effects. Uh, apparently, the frightful sonic shotgun ray gun is safe and simple to use. And I don't have the rest of the story, but you can look it up. Um, isn't that interesting? 
That is very interesting. There is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that would create incredible agonizing pain. Hey, let's use it on people. Yeah. Yeah. So and the simpler make, and more primitive, the better. So could you make like a pulse? Like a, now remember, like you've got, you know, DHS listening. And yeah, stuff, so. so could you make like a pulse spud gun? Yeah, it's it takes a little bit of technique. You can get the geometries right. Mm. You have to have perfect geometries to go into the detonation phase. Oh. This is all in textbooks, so it's not oh, well. classified. All right. But, uh, yeah, detonation is harder than it appears. But it, that's, that is when a shockwave from combustion goes supersonic. That's by definition. Oh, okay. Detonation. And you have to have perfect fuel-air mixture. No losses, yeah, that kind of thing. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't just necessarily be using like a sedling instead of hairspray. Yeah, there, there, yeah. I mean, there's some fuels that are better than others, and that kind of thing, okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's but not a, it's not a. You can look online and read about it. Okay, I'll do that. Well, I still want to make an indie car, but, but you know, somebody said, hey, it's something intriguing and a horrifying source of energy. Let's use it on people. Yeah. Oh well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, horrifying things, the FBI uh, broke the law for years in phone record searches. And this is uh, posted, I think, yesterday via the Washington, Washington Post. Well, I mean, we've we've sort of covered that at length that, like, they sort of have done it, but it was like, well, we just did yeah. it for national security and stuff. Right. As, as this thing uh, reveals, it was basically they were doing it willy-nilly and intentionally uh, for their own ends, for mm. nothing else than just you know, joyriding. Um, the FBI, this is again the Washington, via the Washington Post, the FBI illegally collected more than 2,000 U.S. telephone call records between 2002 and 2006 by invoking terrorism emergencies that did not exist or simply persuading phone companies to provide records, according to internal bureau memos and interviews. FBI officials issued approvals after the fact to justify their actions. Let me say that again. Afterwards. Yeah. Uh, they invoked terrorism Convenient. emergencies that did not exist or simply persuaded phone companies to provide records. They falsified terrorist yes. situations? Uh-huh, yes. They invoked terrorism emergencies that did not exist. Uh, and then the FBI officials... Hey, let me ask you something. What? You know, back to when I was young, the thing of Watergate... Was mm-hmm. that, you know, a cannon could break into another one? Mm-hmm. Was unthinkable. They thought that was like the worst possible crime against the public, you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. But that is small potatoes compared to the stuff that's going on yeah. now, isn't it? G. Gordon Liddy's like a juggler in a circus compared well, to all this stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, sure, it was it was criminal. I mean, sure, people should go to jail. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're talking about stuff that people are dying mm-hmm. over things. Like, I'm not talking about this one, but this just reminds me. That we, we, we've got so jaded, we just sort of shrug our shoulders yeah. at this overt uh, total abuse. Mm-hmm. I know, it's terrible. Total lawlessness. It's terrible. And and as a as a commentary, just strictly out of my mouth, I don't want to drag you into any of this. It seems like the more this stuff gets uncovered, the more polarized society tends to get with people tending mm-hmm. to really want to rally around these jingoistic um, monikers of... Uh, you know, like we have to do, we have to support this country at all costs, or we have to, mm-hmm. uh, we got to support the people who are, in many cases, the very people perpetrating this sort of thing at all costs, and you know, that's what the church did back yeah. in France against an innocent man. Yeah, the I know. Dreyfus affair. I know it's, 
It's it's crazy, you know. So the question comes is, where is the average evangelical, Bible-believing Christian going to fall on that? Which side of that divide sure. are they going to go? And I think that's a salient that's a salient question. It's I, I wouldn't say that you have to you have to be as conversant as we are in all of these issues to to you know I don't know. But you could listen to Future Quake. You could at least do that, or you could start. at least well. And this is the thing that scares me the most about all of this is that so often people don't. When you reveal this information to them, they don't have a good sense of right and wrong about it, and that's mm-hmm. really by far people of faith. Yeah, yeah. that's that's it's, yeah. And it's it's not just complacency; it's this misplaced, uh, it, it's misplaced loyalties as to what is really good and what is really wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, what is really evil. Mm-hmm. Torturing people, we we might get a shred of information. We don't know, but it might be something useful. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, I mean, that's all it takes to yeah. be justified. Somebody, like somebody recent told me, he said, look. We might get a better recipe for, uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. oysters Rockefeller out of them, so yeah. torture away. Yeah, as somebody recently wrote to me, you know, look, I mean, the Gospels really are a little bit more of an intense sort of blood, blood-filled blood thing than we realize, tendency to realize. And it's, it wasn't just healing people and all this other stuff, and I was... My comment was like, what are you talking about? You mean they're using that as a justification of slaughter and stuff like that? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Like it was okay. Which to me suggests they didn't really even know what went on then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I, somebody somebody said this to me and I'm just sort of at a loss to really. I'm, I'm still trying to unravel the chain yeah. of evidence in my head. Yeah. We've gotten very far afield here. I'm, I apologize to our audience. Do you have some more you want to share? Yeah. Okay. The F, anyways, the FBI officials, as I said, approved uh, after the fact... Uh, uh, issued approvals after the fact to justify their actions. Uh, emails obtained by the Washington Post detail how counterterrorism officials inside FBI headquarters did not follow their own procedures that were put in place to protect civil liberties. Uh, the stream of urgent requests for phone records uh, also overwhelmed the FBI communications analysis unit uh, with work that ultimately was not connected to imminent threats. So they were just going after anybody they felt like, you know, they needed to. Hmm. Uh, and finally, a Justice Department Inspector General's report due out this month is expected to conclude that the FBI frequently violated the law with its emergency requests. And that's... I mean, so does it say who went to jail once that was exposed? No, that nobody went to jail. Okay. That's jails for criminals. Probably nobody even got like a letter in their file saying... No. No, it's just like... They broke the Constitution that was yeah, frowned well, upon. Yeah, well, the Constitution, I mean, it's very fluid. Just a bunch of letters. <laughs> well... Yeah, it's just a piece of paper. I've got one to share if you... Great, go ahead. Okay. Please. This is one that some of our listeners already know about, but the rest of our listeners need to know about. Okay. Uh, Obama informations are outlined plan for government to infiltrate conspiracy groups. Mm. Okay, Harvard Law Professor Cass Sunstein... Obama's appointed to head the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Outline a plan for the government to infiltrate conspiracy groups in order to undermine them via postings on chat rooms and social networks, as well as real meetings, according to a recently uncovered article Sunstein wrote for the Journal for Political Philosophy, Journal of Political Philosophy. As we have often warned, this is this is a comment from Prison Planet, so they have a little bit of editorial in mm-hmm. there. As we often warn, chat rooms, social networks, and particularly article comment sections are routinely gamed by trolls, many of whom pose as numerous different people in order to create a fake consensus, who attempt to debunk whatever information is being discussed, no matter how credible and well-documented. 
the people at InfoWars who have seen this on our own websites for years, and although some of those individuals were acting of their own accord, a significant number appear to be working in shifts, routinely posting the same talking points over and over again. It is also a firmly established fact that a military-industrial complex which owns the corporate media networks in the United States, has numerous programs aimed at infiltrating prominent Internet sites and spreading propaganda to counter the truth about the misdeeds of government and the occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, that's so timely given uh, uh, Dr. Dennis Cuddy's uh, yeah. talk we had. You know, That's right. Like, you know, they're <laughs> it's like he could have wrote that paragraph. Yeah, yeah, and, and basically he gave that this is an old plan. Yeah. Um, it says that 2006 CENTCOM, the United States Central Command, announced that a team of employees would be hired to engage bloggers who are posting inaccurate or untrue information, as well as bloggers who are posting incomplete information about the so-called war on terror. So these employees would engage them. I don't know what that means. In May 2008... Marry, like marry them in the Elvis Chapel. Oh, okay. I'm thinking it's <laughs> ringing their doorbell and yeah. spooking them a little bit. Scared oh, really? Them. In May 2008, it was revealed that the Pentagon was expanding information operations on the Internet by setting up fake foreign news websites designed to look like independent media sources, but in reality carrying direct military propaganda. Wow. Now, that is a disinfo attack on the United States. Hmm. That, that's meant to attack the United States. Yeah. yeah. Their own people. Hmm. Countries like Israel have also committed... Uh, submitted to creating an army of online trolls whose job it is to infiltrate anti-war websites and act as apologists for Zionist state war crimes. In January last year, the U.S. Air Force announced a counter-blog response plan aimed at fielding and reacting to material from bloggers who have negative opinions about the U.S. government and the Air Force. Now, you remember the military serves at the pleasure of the civilian public to basically, the commander-in-chief is a civilian elected by the public, and they're supposed to invoke the plans to basically enforce or engage the plans. They're not supposed to shape opinion and go in and try to change the public. No, that is definitely. They go just carry out what the public needs in their best interest. Yeah. So they're placing themselves as the enemy of the public. Mm-hmm. Okay. The plan created by public affairs arm of the Air Force includes a detailed 12-point counter-blog flowchart that dictates how officers should tackle what are described as trolls. Ragers and misguided online writers. I guess we must not be very important because I don't know if they've, unless those emails I respond to once in a while because they're mostly supportive. Yeah. New revelations. How well, what are they? I mean, how are they going to derail us? Yeah. Like, you know, two 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 goofballs in front of a microphone. Maybe they would cut away our huge income we get from the yeah, show. Yeah, I was going to say they might they might have to attack the future Quake compound. Yeah. New revelations highlight the fact that the Obama administration is deliberately targeting targeting conspiracy groups as part of a COINTELPRO-style uh, effort to silence what have become the government's most vociferous and influential critics. Uh, I'll just skip through part of this here. Uh, this article in the Journal of Political, Political Philosophy, uh, the information czar Cass Sunstein outlined a plan to stealthily infiltrate or the government to stealthily infiltrate groups that pose alternative theories on historical events via chat rooms, online social networks, uh, or even real space groups and attempt to undermine them. The aim of the program would be to break up the hardcore of extremists who supply conspiracy theories, wrote Sunstein, uh, pr- with particular reference to 911 truth organizations. So the government's declared war on them. Mm. Uh, Sunstein pointed out that simply having people in government refute conspiracy theories wouldn't work because they're inherently trust- untrustworthy, making it necessary government people are. How did they earn that reputation? 
making it necessary <laughs> to enlist non-government officials in the effort to rebut the theories. In other words, rather than to be upfront with the public, we've got to disguise ourselves and deceive people if we have a chance to change their opinion. Um, it might ensure that credible independent experts offer the rebuttal rather than government officials themselves. Uh, it says the price of credibility is that the government cannot be seen to control the independent experts. That means they cannot be seen to be, can be exposed. Uh, put in English, Sunstein is proposing the government infiltration of groups opposing prevailing policy uh, is, is basically what, what's going on. It says it's easy to destroy groups with cognitive diversity. You just take up meeting time with arguments to the point where people don't come back. You make protest signs with alienate 90% of colleagues. You demand revolutionary violence from pacifist groups. So this is the same kind of stuff I believe we heard the guys at Camp FIBA say that the FBI used in the late 60s, early 70s mm-hmm. to yes. break up dissident groups. Well, and it's, it's kind of the same flavor that we saw out of that guy Hal Turner that was yeah. recently outed after years and years and years of being a... You Trying know, to get patriot people over to espouse anti-Semitic kind of things, yeah, white supremacist kind of white stuff. Supremacist thing. And the FBI was was running them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, I'll just finish here. Uh, it says uh, they might undertake legal uh, tactics. This is the government official saying. Legal tactics for breaking up the tight cognitive clusters of extremist theories. Uh, government agents and their allies might enter the rooms, online social networks, uh, and undermine uh, conspiracy theories by raising doubts about their factual premises. Um, and it says uh, that she's also calling for making websites liable for comments posted in response to articles. Uh, and it says in closing here, InfoWars office has been visited by numerous occasions by FBI as a result of people posting violent comments in response to articles. Since the government now employs people to post such comments in an attempt to undermine conspiracy websites, if a law were passed making websites accountable, Sunstein's program would allow the government to obliterate such sites from the web merely by having their own hired goons post threats against public figures. And it says the fact that the government is forced to hire armies of trolls in an effort to silence the truth shows how worried they are about the effect of being had on waking up millions of people. Mm. Well, what do you think? I thought that's a yeah, good story. Hand me that article. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Take that and use that for something later. Give somebody a paper cut with it? Yeah. Uh, the, the information in there, especially the backlinks, are, would be particularly in- interesting for a response I have to craft. Okay, right. Um, that The government will stoop to anything now. Yeah. And in fact, it, it, what, they, what, what they're saying is for our, our, our listeners who are savvy listeners, mm-hmm. this should reinforce their belief in the veracity of these things. Mm-hmm. Because if it was just facts that could refute these, quote, conspiracy theories, yeah. facts. all they'd have to do is put the facts on the table to dispute mm-hmm. them. What they're having to use is dirty tricks mm-hmm. to try to get rid of them because they don't mm-hmm. have a ready answer. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's... You had a story. You got another story there? I'd rather hear what, what Dr. Heiser has said about uh, well, there's not, evil. there's not much time for it, so okay. I'll give you as a taste. Well... well if you go to the nakedbible.com, his blog, mm-hmm. um, you'll see he talks about God in Haiti. Um, and, uh, boy. H I T I. H A I T I, not H H D E S. H E I T I, yeah. God in Haiti. Um, he talked about the catastrophic earthquake in Haiti. Uh, it's still rippling through the nation. It says, uh, uh, but even now the calamity prompts questions concerning the whereabouts and benevolence of God. If God is good, why do people suffer? Since this question is usually asked of Christians and Jews who embrace the Bible as word of God, he says, I'll focus on the Bible as my answer. Uh, the question is simple but complex. One of the difficulties has to do with assumptions loaded into the question itself. 
Asking if God is good, why do people suffer, presupposes that God's goodness and suffering are incompatible. Why? Because of a prior presumption, an odd but common one, that the existence of a God means all events are caused by that God. But is that really true? Does the Bible really teach that? For sure the religiously minded like the idea when things are going fine, since it gives God credit for everything. But if the idea is really true, then it necessarily follows that God either wants tragedies and evil to happen or needs them to happen as part of a larger plan. Militant atheism charges God with the former, and much of Christianity opts for the latter. The truth is that both alternatives are, biblically speaking, flawed. Hmm. He says, I have an issue of warning at this point. The rest of this essay can't be read in the time it would take for a standard commercial break, nor can it be grasped as easily as the outcome in an episode of American Idol. Uh, I have to, uh, he says, if you aren't willing to invest a good 15 minutes or so grappling with a question this important, then stop here. Uh, so, go there. we got to stop. Gosh, I really, really wanted to get well, into that. Oh, we'll no. save it. Maybe we'll save okay, it, yeah, it next, next time. Week. Uh, until then, we need to have Merv come in and tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. And we're running late. All right, let's go. Come back next week for another great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao, baby. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.